Hello, my name is Joe Fricky, and welcome to the third episode of the Forgotten Movies edition of the Movie Change Up podcast, where every week two people go head-to-head pitching reboots to movies. However, these aren't just straight-up reboots, since we've added a little twist, because every week there are also seven rules they must follow, one rule per movie, and you can't use a rule more than once. This week's episode, we have decided to focus on seven movies that probably should have stayed forgotten. Now, to help me determine the winner in today's head-to-head matchup, I have last week's host and the winner of the first ever Forgotten Movies episode. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, my name's Bobby, and yeah, I won the first of these Forgotten Movies episodes, and uh, it's been a lot of fun doing this. Um, not really a big fan of, of, of the movies this week, but I think that'll make it more interesting, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely looking to see what these guys uh, do to these seven movies this week. And now we have two competitors today who are facing for the first time in any edition of this podcast. The first competitor beat me last week and is looking to be 2-0 and in this iteration of the show. Hello, everybody. I'm Johnny Dupe. I'm the other co-creator of the show along with Joe. Um, you're right. I've never faced Tristan. I wish we were facing under better circumstances because these were some, um, to put it lightly, problematic movies to work with. But... I think that provides a challenge to you when you're doing your your pitches. So I'm interested to see the direction that um, Tristan went with these, and I'm excited to fight him for the first time. All right. And our uh, second competitor is in familiar territory at 0-1, but is looking to bounce back. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm hoping to make a, yet another comeback. You know, that's what I'm known for here. I, you think I'm down, but I'm just coming back. You know, and that's what I'm We're here losing. for. I'm, I'm very excited to face Johnny. He thinks he's so tough and good and I can't wait to knock him down a peg. And, you know, we finally are facing, I, like he said, I wish we were facing with better movies because it was very hard to remake these. But I'm really excited to see what we both did for him. Right. And uh, before we start, if you're listening to us through a podcast app, go to YouTube and find this episode of Movie Changeup. Give us a thumbs up, a comment, and subscribe to our channel. If you're watching us on YouTube, go to your favorite podcast app, download this episode, and rate us. Even if you're watching this episode a year after its release, still comment because it helps us get seen by more people. If you're watching live, feel free to comment. If the comment is good, we will put it on the screen and talk about it live on air. As far as the seven problematic movies we've been talking about, uh, the first, we have The Breast is Yet to Come from 2006, Black Thunder from 1940, The Elves of Masaka from 2002, The Hindenburg Conspiracy from 1983, Old West from 1999, Over the Rainbow from 1973, and Time Travel Movie from 2005. And uh, Bobby, are you able to read the rules for this episode? Yep, got them right here. Um, One must be directed and star the four nominees of the 89th Academy Awards. One must resurrect an actor's career. One must be a Taika Waititi movie. One must include a character made famous by Halle Berry. One must include Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. One must be a rom-com, and you must get yourself in a support Looking forward to that one. All right, and uh, before the episode went live, we had a contest to determine who would start and who would go first, and Johnny won that contest. So uh, what movie are we going with, and who's going first? All right, we're just getting right into the problematic because we're starting with Black Thunder, and I'm going to go first. All right, Black Thunder is a movie that should never have been made, let alone remade, but we'll see what you guys did with it. It's from 1940, has a 37% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is about 100% too high. Uh, set just before the Civil War, the film is about a slave named Black Thunder who uses their super strength to fight any slave that breaks the law by running away. 
Black Thunder fights their arch nemesis, White Lightning, an abolitionist who uses their super speed to break out slaves. And how did you save this abomination of a movie? So obviously it's a movie that um, should be left in the past, but there is a history behind it. And, and I'm kind of going to get into that. I'm going to read you kind of the lost history. Um, I read the biography of the creator, Nathan Parker, of the comic book Black Thunder. Um, so I'm pretty well versed. So just to kind of share that with people, um, I'm going to go into that and then explain my pitch. So Black Thunder comics were created by a man named Nathan Park. He was a black man that was trying to make it as a comic creator with the first ever comic about black uh, about a black detective in noir-style comic books. Nathan Park was laughed out of the building in the mid-30s for even suggesting such a ridiculous thing. Um, after witnessing the massive success of Superman in 1938, Nathan Park had an idea. He was going to create a black superhero for white audiences. He intended to make Black Thunder a commentary on America. It was a satire. He is now credited with creating the idea of the white savior. Um, black Thunder comics were supposed to show that the only way to sell a black comic book hero in America is to, ha is to have them kind of oppress his own people. And the quote-unquote villain of the books was named White Lightning. He was originally going to be White Savior. That's where that term stems from. Um, but, you know, from an interview with Nathan Park, uh, he originally said that was the name, but they changed it to White Lightning um, just for more of a superhero-type name. Um, and here's where the story goes kind of awry. Uh, the books were a huge success, but nobody understood that these books were satire. Park sold the film rights to a movie studio basically immediately um, within a year of the comic books coming out because he had to get what he could from the character because he was so disgusted by the audience reactions and the popularity of the character. But he had to fight just not to be credited uh, on the film at all because he knew it would be just racist propaganda, which it ended up being. So Park made enough to live on and retire by selling the rights to uh, uh, and almost just kind of disappeared from history. Not a lot of people know about him, mainly because his name was taken off the, the only movie and comic books that were credited to, to his name. Um, but his story has, has never been told. There's no better time now, I feel like, than to tell this story, Nathan Park's story, and that, you know, that is what my pitch of this movie is. Instead of recreating Black Thunder... I'm going to make a biopic of Nathan Park who created Black Thunder. So it can still be called that. It's going to be about the oppression and, you know, the failed satire of the film. Um, so my rule for this is I'm using the 89th Academy Awards. So my director is Barry Jenkins, who did Moonlight. My Nathan Park is going to be played by Mahershala Ali, who is in Moonlight and Green Book. Um, my Tilda Park, his wife, is going to be played by Naomi Harris, uh, who is in Moonlight and Skyfall. My uh, Ron Smith, who was Nathan's uh, editor and partner, um, that's going to be played by Andrew Garfield, who was nominated for Hacksaw Ridge. And Ron's wife, Anne, is going to be played by Ruth Nega, who was uh, um, nominated for Loving. So my movie is going to be the biopic of Nathan Park, tell the story of why um, of this horrible story of someone who was just trying to make it as a creator um, and then the character was taken into such a different direction that he just was forgotten in history. He should have been known as a, you know, satirical comic book creator. Um, and my movie is just going to, it's going to tell the story of his career, also his relationship with his wife, Tilda, um, having to convince his editor, Ron Smith, to help publish these stories. So he was obviously famously against that from the beginning, but they ended up teaming up, but that had a strain on Ron um, and his wife, Anne. So that's the story that I'm going to tell in, in my film, the, uh, 
the real true story of uh, Nathan Park in the Black Thunder comic books. So that's right, my that's pitch. Different, interesting take. Not Didn't expect that's where you'd go with it, but I like it. Uh, Tristan, what have you done with this terrible, terrible movie? <laughs> Yeah, like you said, this is very terrible. And Johnny went into like the original origins of what this was supposed to be, and then they completely botched it in this movie. So I wanted to sort of go in and make a comment on, like you know, he mentioned earlier the white savior was sort of originated in this movie. So I wanted to have that be an element here, and I wanted, and in order to do that, I kind of totally threw away the original movie and did sort of a reboot. So we opened in 1704, South Carolina. So it's a, a little bit before the original movie was taking place. And it's during a slave rebellion uh, led by uh, a, a slave named Nathaniel, who's played by Michael K. Williams from uh, The Wire and Lovecraft Country recently. And around this time, there were several slave rebellions in the South, and especially in South Carolina. So a lot of slave owners were getting really anxious, especially with the war growing. Britain was... Yeah, they're getting closer and closer to a war with Britain. So the property owners hatched a plan at this time to create slave patrols of people who would hunt down uh, slaves who ran away. And, of course, these slave patrols famously or infamously grew into the cops that we have today, police departments. So Nathaniel, who tried to lead a rebellion, and it failed, and he's given an ultimatum by his slave owners. He gets captured, and they tell him, okay, you can, either, you can continue to fight, but if you do that, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill all the men in your army. And we're going to sell their families off to other owners and separate them. If you don't do that, you you have to join our first slave patrol and be, and and be like a black man who's trying to fight against the slaves. And they tell them like these racist ideas of oh, you know, if you actually act more white and more civilized, you'll actually become white. That was a racist idea around at the time of of the idea that black people could become white if they just behave like white people. And it was a way that they used to blackmail. Uh, black people into betraying their own their own people at this time to keep the minorities divided. So I had him join the slave patrol and become Black Thunder, um, a black man who hunts slaves. And meanwhile, uh, abolitionist ideas are rising up in the north and slowly coming down south. And Ed Blake, who's played by Andrew Garfield, uh, he's a radical abolitionist, and he decides to venture to the south to free slaves as white lightning and write a book about his experiences. And he, his, his target is set as Black Thunder because he sees him as like a race trader against black people and he wants to take him down. And th these two kind of people clash throughout this movie and we see the, the concept of Andrew Garfield as this white savior that he thinks is coming in to save people and to help the slaves, but really he's just there to write his book and to become known as like a savior of people. That's what he wants to do. And Black Thunder throughout his experience starts to see like the reality of of the situation he's in, that he's been manipulated to fight against his own people. And by the end, we see these two people kind of team up, the two of them together, to take down slave owners and free slaves. So in a way, I tried to respond to a lot of the criticisms of the original movie and bring in the elements, like Johnny mentioned, of the white savior and a lot of the things that they tried to do to make this character consumable to white audiences and to comment on how that happens, how we make these stories and history consumable to white people in history. So that's my picture of Backlender. I missed, I missed, um, did you say your director and who all your actors were? The only thing I remembered was Andrew Garfield. Oh, yeah, Michael K. Williams. He played Nathaniel, the Lee of the Black Thunder, and my director is Jordan Peele. I think you can capture the racial commentary of something and also kind of like the satirical edge of what this was actually supposed to be. And what was your rule? My rule is, uh, wait, let me pull it back up. Oh, you know what? I, it's not Michael K. Williams, it's Will Smith. 
I'm reviving the career of Will Smith. Reviving his career? Yeah, he hasn't done anything good in so, so long. His biggest role has been Suicide Squad that no one even liked. He just did the new Bad Boys movie, which was a big hit. Which that was going to be the highest grossing movie, movie of, of the year. Yeah. He's been in nothing good for a very, very yeah. long time. I think I think you got to wait for that one a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So You guys so, have questions for us? Yeah, so I have my questions. Uh, Nathan Park, who Johnny obviously knows a lot about, did a lot of research about, is a staunch feminist. You know, not only was he big on, like, the whole black movement and supporting black people, he also supported women. And in his comics and in in the movie he released, uh, Black Thunder and White Lightning were women. So, uh, Tristan, why did you decide to change that and make them men? And then, Johnny, do you focus on that aspect of his life at all in your movie? Uh, who wants to start? Uh, Tristan could go first. Oh, yeah, I made them men simply because I think uh, the white savior complex is very prominent in, in like you had this big, strong white man come down and kind of save everyone. So I wanted to make a comment on that. Plus, I think uh, it's just relevant to the political commentary of the movie that I'm going for. All right. All right. Tristan also hates women. <laughs> um, the, I, I think the main thing with mine is that's the reason I, I cast. Um, both of their wives because they are um, very central to the story of Nathan Park. Ron Smith, the editor would have never done this if his wife didn't push him towards it. He thought this is going to end my career. There's no way I can do this. Um, He was a young and up and comer, but his wife and she's the one who really pushed him and said, this is important. You have to do this. And in the end it, you know, it it was forgotten in history, but at the time what they were going for to make a, a, you know, satirical version of a, a black superhero to kind of, get people to understand that you can make comics about black people. She was uh, central to that. Um, And same with Naomi Harris supporting him throughout and telling Nathan Park, you know, you got to go for this. So and both their wives are going to do that. So it's still, while obviously going to be completely different than the original for obvious reasons, as it should be, um, it's still going to have those uh, strong female characters. All right. And uh, Bobby, did you have a question for them? Yeah, so the first one had kind of a little bit of a religious back to- backstory to it as well. Um, oh, Black, Thunder, Black, Black Thunder got her powers from praying to God, and like God gave it to her because of a righteous cause. Do you have any um, religious influence, or at least say, at least Johnny, do you talk about that in your movie about the making of it? And then for Tristan, do you, I couldn't even tell if your characters had powers, and if they do, do you show how they got them? So Johnny, you can start. I mean, obviously, mine is very different from the original. We're not going to have that whole crap involved with it. Um, I mean, I don't think it's necessary to my story. Nathan Park is not known as like a religious man. He just threw that in to some of his comics to kind of make fun of that because Superman was like the god among superheroes. So you're going to have him talk about that and, you know, introduce it as to why it is in the comics. But you don't really need him to be like this religious man you know, oh, I'm going to pray every night to make sure my comics get popular or something. I don't need anything like that. Okay, so for the second question, I, I did remove the powers. I wanted to sort of ground it a little bit and make it less about superheroes and more about like these larger-than-life kind of bounty hunter type people who are out in this era. And I definitely brought religion into mine. I think it's a very important element of the satire of this movie. And I think that religious religion was used to... Th- Fuel a lot of racist ideas back in this time, so I have that oh, in no. my origin story of Black of Black Thunder. You know, where they're telling him this. Oh, if you read the Bible, you can see all these quotes that talk about the purity of white skin, and it says, "Oh, if you actually behave 
in white ways, so you'll you'll become white. That was like a very very prominent fuel for racism back in in this era, and a very prominent justification for slavery. So I wanted to sort of directly address how religion was used to justify abuse and slavery in this time. All right. All right. I'll say, Bobby, if you don't have any more questions, I'll say I'm heavily leaning one way. Uh, so I'll let you guys fight it out. But if my mind's not changed in the next couple minutes, I'm just going to make my ruling. Um, I'm just going to start by just saying, I mean, there's only one way to tell this story, and it's the way I went with it. If you're really going to reboot, you're Black not telling Thunder, the story. You, you are telling the true story of what actually happened, and in a way that you can tell the story of 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 a black man struggling in white Hollywood, and that still has something to do with today. Your movie, every time they make a slave movie, it's just like, oh, see how oppression used to be? Like, no. Like, you know, this is still showing, yes, this was in the late 30s, um, but this is showing that these things are still happening today. It's still relevant. It's a very relevant story that no one really knows. And your movie is just shining a light upon the original movie. Like, you might as well just reboot um, Birth of a Nation, just like how it was originally, and put Will Smith in it. Like, your movie is racist and... It wouldn't exist and it wouldn't get made. You know, your movie just all together, as soon as anyone on Twitter or anything got wind of, oh, they're rebooting Black Thunder. It's going to be this superhero movie. Like it would just immediately that would get shut down. There's no way your movie gets made. My movie's about the story of the actual person who gets forgotten in history. And it's I think it's a story that's important. Who needs nobody to knows told. about who made a movie nobody saw. No one's going to see your movie. My movie is not How, many, how, many, movie, how many movies are made about people that are forgotten in history? I didn't know who the fuck Alan Turing was before that movie. You know, like I know that's obviously a little bit of a bigger name because his machine was named after him. But there's biopics. I didn't know who the fuck Jake LaMotta was before Raging Bull. There's plenty of people that were even to a moderate amount of fame that biopics are made out of, and usually they're the best biopics. And mine is not just shining a light on like previous flaws. It's very much commenting on how these are still happening now, how religion is still used to just justify racism, how history is completely whitewashed and completely devoid of what was really happening. And I think this takes the Black, the Black Thunder original movie that's all about, oh, look at the great white people who come in and save all the black people. And it completely subverts that, and it shows that Black people have to save are saving themselves. You know, white people are can help, but it's ultimately not our fight to be in. We have to be allies, and we have to be able to support black people in their fight. And I think that's what this my version of this movie is about. That's why I brought in Jordan Peele. He can modernize these themes, modernize his commentary. Yours completely does not at all have anything to do with Black Thunder. I'm sure it's about the guy who made it, but like. You're not remaking Black Thunder. You're making entire. Why would you ever movie. want to? Because you that's the premise not of make, show. You do not remake this movie, okay? You do it two ways. You do it my way, or it doesn't exist. There's only two ways you can go with it. Yours, it doesn't exist. Would never get made. Even more so than the fucking. Okay, okay, the premise of the show is that you remake the movies that are bad. You're making an entirely different movie that's kind of about a guy who is vaguely. I have my role. Mine's actually about. The story that Black Thunder is about, and it makes it better. It makes it more modern. It makes the themes modern. That's what this show is supposed to be. You remake the movie. The most you remake the movie. all time and just makes it slightly better. And also, I revived Will Smith's career, which is roaring and successful. Look at Will yeah. Smith's last few movies. Bad Big, boys, oh, bad. bad boys, was, Rise in disguise, no yeah, but it made a bunch Gemini of money. All right, Aladdin I'm just gonna bad. start muting Mike. Was bad. Yeah. 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 Beauty was bad. You guys right, right. was bad. And there's one way to go. You're either racist or you know what a good pitch is. <laughs> all right. So, 
What ended the pitch for me is last week me and Tristan were talking, and he told me the best possible pitch for Hot Love would have been a movie about the making of Hot Love. So when he automatically, his fight against Black Thunder is you can't make a movie about the making, essentially, or the history of Black Thunder, I'm like, well, that argument's thrown out, and I've heard enough. I, I'll let... I'll let Bobby say what he has to say, but I don't think it's really going to affect what Gianni's I. Gianni's pitch is shit, you yeah. guys. I can't believe you guys so, are going to vote for his. So this basically, so racist. So Gianni's when he started. One, uh, I was thinking at first it was a little, little bit of a cheat because you didn't, you know, go. It is a cheat. But then you made a movie that I do really want to see, and I think I think you would rule well, and I think that would be something that people would want to see so like that. Although I did, I did think a little bit of a cheat. If Tristan had a better fit, that, that would have been a better, fit, bigger. But to me, Tristan still was problematic in some ways, even though I know you're trying to satirize it and show the problems. Um, and also Will Smith, even if you don't like some of the movies that he's made recently, is still like one of the biggest stars around. So I didn't really think I'd like the use of the rule. Bad Boys 2 was the biggest, or 3, whatever, was the biggest movie of the last year. Um, nothing the, came out. Um, I mean, he's, he's still big. So, I mean, just a, Johnny's was, was the winner for me. Yeah, I, I'm with Bobby here. Like, Johnny, definitely, you could argue, like, the cheatness of the rule, but when Tristan last week messaged me the the best way to re- – the best pitch for Hot Love would have been a movie about the making of Hot Love, I'm like, well, all any arguments are thrown out. Look, the only way you can reboot a problematic movie as something as problematic as the original and some of the others on this list is you got to change up a lot about them. So I like hope Tristan Ben is stuck with that for some of the other ones. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I just don't know, because I feel like if Tristan's, like, the trailer for Tristan's movie comes out, like, there's going to be hate. Yeah, that's so not just, ever like, coming out. Spewing out. And then, like, as far as use of the rule goes, like, Will Smith doesn't really need his career revived. Like, sure, he hasn't been in the best movies. He hasn't been in a good movie in, like, how many years? But I also what don't know if this is the movie. Like, if I'm going to, if I, if someone wants to make an argument to revive Will Smith's career, it should be in, like, the next, like, John Wick type of movie that it's like a more serious but like action something he's done before but like a serious movie about race is not anything that i feel like is going to revive will smith's career right now and like johnny's rule use wasn't like the most inspired or creative rule use but it was just like in baseball terms it was like a nice base hit like there wasn't anything wrong with it it didn't blow me away but he at least got on base and that's I can't fault Johnny for his rule use here, and I don't know if I'm exactly on board with Tristan's rule use. So for multiple reasons, I'm going to give Johnny the point. And so, oh, yeah. uh, and so Tristan, uh, where are we going? And uh, I guess uh, next we can go to Elves of Misaka. Oh God! Oh, and we have a live comment. Uh, so Sam, I'm glad I got that first point. What's up, Cole? Me- Cole, McCall, get on my side here. Start attacking. I need your backup. He'll love your movie. When you said Elves of Masaka is where you're going, and who's going to go yep. first? I'll go first on this one. All right. Oops, that's my questions, potentially, if I have any. All right. So the Elves of Masaka came out in 2002 and received a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was directed by Brian Singer and based on the iconic book series by Belgian author D.H. Prince. The story tells of two young Flausen, Olia and Horace, in search of the elves who can use their magic to stop the evil Dastarnil named Gizmo, played by Kevin Spacey, from destroying their village. 
I actually have a weird relationship with this movie. Uh, it's definitely not good, and it's definitely not age well, considering the director and the cast are all very problematic people. But uh, I actually named my two dogs after characters from this movie. Uh, so I have Gizmo and Horace were my two dogs. They were great dogs. I named them after, obviously, Gizmo, who is the bad guy in this, and Horace, who's like the secondary lead. That's They're the great dogs. Your, your, yeah, your dog after the most famous Gizmo. Elves well, of you know, <laughs> I'm not an yeah. 80s kid, you know. I grew up in 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 the in the 90s, early 2000s. You know, you're this not is, a fan I'm of stories of dads dying in chimneys. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, because I'm so emotionally attached to uh, these two characters, just because of their names, essentially, uh, I decided to cast myself in this movie. So I cast myself as Horace, the secondary uh, lead of this movie. I made an animated movie, so I'm only doing voiceover. Thank God. I think I can do voiceover. Oh. Uh, my director oh, no. is uh, Dean DeBlois, who did How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, so it tells the adventures of Olya and Horace, who are two young elves who must step into adulthood to defend their village from attack after a distronal dis a named Gizmo uh, and his army of goblins attack. So I made it sort of a family adventure. It doesn't go too dark, but it definitely pushes to appeal to a little bit older audience, sort of like the How to Train Your Dragon movies. They have action. They have bigger stakes than something like Trolls 2 does. Uh, in the duo, they kind of venture out of a secluded village. I think the original is very limited because they spend almost the entire movie in their village. We only see the outside of the village and like the opening and the closing sequence. And that was always a part I liked the most is like they had this really, really fascinating world around them, but they spent so much time in this village, I was kind of let down and I wanted to have these two characters have to venture out into the world a little bit and have this theme of like, Oh, you have to leave your comfort zone. You have to sort of see the world around you in order to, to win. And we see these two people, these two elves who have to go out and bond together while also find like figuring out a way to gather up some, 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 uh, some, allies among these magical creatures in this forest around them so we get to see some really cool visuals some really striking creatures and characters and they're gathering up these forces from various villages who are all secluded and separated and saying we have to unite to fight against this common villain this this army of goblins that are going to take over our our magical forest and that's basically just the the movie nice fun family adventure that's plenty of action plenty of cool visuals plenty of awesome characters and that's that's my pitch all right, uh, Johnny, what about you? How how did you tackle this project? Now, Elves of Masaka, this was a fun one. I'm glad you guys picked such a shit pile of a fucking movie and a book series because here's my thing with it. This is another one that, like, okay, at best, you make a movie and it's, like, about the same as the original in terms of, like, Rotten Tomatoes percentage. So the only way I can do this and make it interesting to me is make it just a movie for me. And that's probably going to affect the ruling here because it's probably not going to really shout out to either of the judges. I will defend it like I normally do, but this is a movie for me. And the only way I can really win these games is if I was the judge, what would I pick? So I'm making my movie a Taika Waititi movie. He is going to direct it. That is my rule of choice. Um, my leads are Jermaine Clement and Britt McKenzie. Um, now, you might recognize those two uh, as the Flight of the Concords which is one of my favorite shows of all time. I love it to death. 
Um, so I'm bringing back uh, Reese Darby as Murray, the band's uh, manager. Um, and my pit, I'll do my pitch and then say uh, who I have in here. So the two-man band Flight of the Concords, last seen at the end of season two, um, getting deported back to New Zealand, um, catch a big break when Murray gets them cast in the new uh, big book series being made in New Zealand um, called The Elves of Masaka. It's getting called The Next Lord of the Rings. Um, this could be their way to get back to America, become big stars. The problem is they have absolutely no idea what the movie is about because the entire script is basically gibberish. They don't know what a flousen is. They don't know what any of these words mean. So they're very confused, but they're just trying to go day by day, getting through of just, we don't know what this means, but we're going to do what they tell us. Um, and they also suspect the director, Brevin Singler, played by Taika Watiti, and the star actor playing the main villain, played by Matt Berry, most famous for what we do in the shadows, to be um, child sex traffickers. So that is in my movie because the original obviously um, had both Kevin Spacey and Brian Singer. So we are going to make it a little meta. We're going to make it a good Taika Waititi uh, film. It's going to be, if you've seen what we do in the shadows, you'll love my movie. Um, and, and that's my pitch. It's, it's for me. I really want Flight of the Concords back. I think um, the opening of what Warner Brothers just announced with their films going to HBO Max opens the possibility of a movie like mine being made because you don't have to worry about a big audience. The show's been off air for a long time, but you can throw it on HBO Max and it doesn't need a big budget just like the show. Um, and, and I think that is, uh, that's the movie I want to see. It's the only way I could have made this movie watchable to myself. Tristan doesn't sound good to me. Maybe there's an audience for it. The original was terrible. The books are trash. So I wanted to make a movie that I would watch, and I want to watch a meta Taika Waititi comedy about the flight of the Concords, not knowing what a flouse means. So that's my movie. All right. Uh, Bobby, do you got a question for them? Yeah. So, um, I mean, for Johnny, since you kind of went away from the original movie again, um, I guess just for you, it's why would I, would I, I don't know or don't really like the flight of the Concords. If someone is not familiar at all at all, why would they want to see this movie? Would it appeal to them? Because what we do in the shadows, which I love, is, is a very uh, kind of niche movie. Um, and it's then a niche movie, now, nowadays you have Taika Waititi. He's a bigger name. If you attach him back to an independent project, which I'd love him to continue with that career path of, I'm going to make you know uh, a big Thor movie, but then I'm going to do um, you know the, uh, the Hunt for the Wilder People, and and then and what we do in the shadows, like. I want him to do the kind of every in-between big blockbuster is more of an independent film. And if you attach his name to it, people will see it. Taika Waititi is a big name now. You throw that on the cover of HBO Max, anyone who logs into that will watch it. Um, you don't have to love Flight of the Concords to just go in and start watching. You could watch any episode and you'll enjoy it. Uh, the New Zealand dry comedy works for this story, and it works really well, and it's my taste in comedy. I love what we do in the shadows. I love all of Taika's films, so... I just, I just want a fun movie that you at least attach his name to it. Um, and at least like the elves of Masaka, that's why I'd call it that rather than the flight of the Concords movie it has a little more name recognition because it was a little higher budget film back in 2002 than, than the show. But also the show had a big audience. It's great. It's gained uh, popularity because of HBO max. It's on there and it never ended because it didn't have viewers. It ended because the band itself was just like, Oh, we don't want to do it anymore. And they wanted to move on to something else. So 
them wanting to get back to it, I think would excite a lot of people and bring enough of an audience to it. Okay. Um, and Tristan, for you, um, I didn't really get a big description of what your Destino is like. Uh, the original in the books and the movie, um, it's kind of a shapeshifter and it's pretty creepy. Do you keep that? Do you change it? Um, what did you do with your villain? Uh, yeah, I definitely keep that. I think I want to, because there's a big following for these books, especially. There's a really active subreddit, a really, a lot of, uh, I'm on Tumblr, so there's a lot of Tumblr blogs that post about this and how they desperately want to get like a good mo version of this made and they make fun of this terrible 2002 attempt to make these books into a movie. So I want to use that shapeshifter uh, still, but I want to tie it in thematically too, how they do in the books where like they're going out to meet these other tribes, the other groups, and he's a shapeshifter, so they're not quite sure you know, can they trust people? It's that, it's the element of trust. I think that's a very big theme of, of the books. I want to bring that back into my movie as well. Like these two people learning to trust outsiders and learning to trust groups that are different than them. That's something that I think very much kids and, and families can get a lot out of. So that's my, that's what I'm still going for the shape future on that. Okay. All right. All right. And so my question is in like DH Prince's works, the Flossen have always aged backwards and they're, kind of the rumored inspiration for Benjamin Button and Oli and Horace in the original were played by Helen Mirren and Ian McKellen. And so I just want to know, like to both of you for Tristan, how did you incorporate this into your movie? Cause you cast yourself as one of the Flousen and you're like a young, early, mid 20 year old and the Flousen. I mean, if you're playing Horace, you should sound like a 90 year old. And then Johnny, my question for you is like in your movie when they figure out what a flousen is, like how does this incorporate into your movie? And I'll let uh, Tristan go first. Well, my flousen is technically going to be super old, and you know because I'm he'll be like you know eighty or something, and because I have a, a younger voice, I'm a younger person. Like it'll fit. You know he's aging backwards because he's physically young, but in reality he's very old. You know I think that's sort of the fun of the characters and all these fantasy elements of these different people in the village, these different creatures around in the forest so yeah definitely having the aging backwards and i'm going to bring in all the all of the other you know creatures with their various different abilities like the wendells and the blumpers and the thumps like the people that were in the books that got cut from this movie and they're all they're various different magical abilities too mine's mainly going to be i mean because obviously mine is them not understanding what is happening in this movie because everything is going to be as crazy and stupid as the books is i would love a scene where jermaine clement is old and he's an old person makeup with a gray beard and gray hair and then Britt mckenzie it's just his head on like a small body um like a prop body and they you know sing a song about how they're flousing like that's that's the type of humor i want in my movie that's what i'm going for like they're not going to know what's going on and then they're gonna you know just be reacting to all the craziness around them because that's what the fun of the show was and i want to bring that back because i miss it so much i've watched that show over and over since quarantine started, probably 10 times I've watched every episode. Love it. So I'm just bringing it back. All right. Yeah, like I think I'm leaning a certain direction, but I'll let you guys fight it out, see if it changes my mind. I'll go first and just say that Flight of the Concord is definitely a fun show to watch clips of, but I don't think it's relevant today. Like, what, over 10 years since it came off the air? Like, people aren't going to be clamoring, especially if you don't call it the Flight of the Concords movie. People aren't going to. I think you'd be better off calling it that. Like people who are going, they're saying, "Oh, look, Elsa Masaka! They're finally making Elsa Masaka movie. It's going to be good for once, finally." And they watch it, and it's like this meta joke, making fun of the books. Like, no fans are Would going to be, be happy great. about that. But I'm not for you, maybe it's a movie for, for nobody. I don't give a shit about these fans. My movie is for me, and it's for the fans of the show, and it's for everyone else who has ever tried to watch or read Elsa Masaka and known how garbage this is. Like, 
dude, that, those books are so bad. I don't give a shit about their fan base. Like, whatever. They have a little subreddit. Like, big fucking deal. There's a lot of shitty movies and shitty books. There's fans of the Divergent series, and that's a pile of shit. That's all those movies are. I don't need YA movies about young flousen elves and goblins. Like, no, I'd rather have a movie that just makes fun of that. I'll sit back. I'll enjoy it. I'll love it. Anyone who likes Psycho Atiti will love it. He's got a bigger audience than the book. Anyone who loves What We Do in the Shadows will love it. And, you know, I, I think because if you attach Taika Waititi, like I said, people actually know who he is now. He helped with, you know, the coming up of the Flight of the Concords and all these actors because they were all from New Zealand and everyone came over. Um, they've been in his movies and stuff before. I, I think that um, would just be a fun movie to see. Like, I didn't give a shit how big an audience What We Do in the Shadows is. They didn't need a name brand behind it. And I saw it and that was my favorite comedy probably in the last decade. So I want more of that. It's the same type of humor, and it incorporates a show that I love, and a lot of people are, are big fans of. I would much rather see Taika make like a legit Elza Masaka movie. I think he showed he can work in like this no. fantasy but, world. No, there's no way to. Make I don't want to see him make some kind of like meta comedy about a movie that people didn't even like to begin with. Like, you don't want to like see Taika of... Waititi do a meta comedy. That's what he does, man. That's his not best about movies. a movie that nobody liked already. Is like there's fun meta humor and the. Thing you're forgetting in my movie because I would love to see someone take this on. Taika Watiti playing basically the Brian Singer type character that the band suspects of being a sex trafficker, and you get to make fun of that, and Kevin Spacey in it because that's what Matt Barry. I think he could do a great job just being the I'm a very serious actor, take me seriously. And then they have this thing behind the scenes, and the whole show was. They are put in crazy situations and they're just kind of reacting to them and they are just kind of like out of the loop. And that's what I want. I want Murray, Reese Darby, one of the funniest actors alive. He was the werewolf in What We Do in the Shadows. Um, you know, we're werewolves, not swearwolves. He was in Yes Man is the probably the only reason to watch that movie. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just putting a movie with funny people in it, making a good meta comedy that takes on Brian Singer and Kevin Spacey and it takes on this shitty movie and this stupid book series that I don't give a shit if you're a fan of it. Like, you're just wrong. You're, you're bad, bad taste if you're interested. So like yours, whatever, it's going to be the next Nomeo and Juliet. That's, that's exciting, man. But like, it's going to be the next How to Train Your Dragon. I picked the director no, of How to Train Your Dragon no, because, because How to Train Your Dragon awesome is a good movie. You're taking such pile of shit. And he's making it a good movie. He's taking the books, he's adapting them over again and making them into something good. You can make yours a family movie that's more accessible to audiences, but you can't pretend that your movie is going to be a good movie. I'll lose on my movie is less accessible. That's my fine. movie is going to be a great movie. movie. How to Train Your Dragon, all three trash. of those are great movies. Just because someone did one good movie doesn't mean that they made make three good, good movies. Taika Waititi has made one that, or two good movies, and you think he's like a master. That he had creative control of. Taika Waititi, right. every movie he's so, ever made is awesome. I don't know how about you, but I'm kind of feel, feeling pretty wrong about, about, yeah. about this. Yeah, I think I'm going to go. Like, I, I think I've heard enough, but if you're feeling strong enough to stop it, I'll defer to you and let you make the ruling. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think, Johnny, I, I think it hurt you having these two movies back-to-back because it's like you went to the same well twice, two times over where you kind of don't make the original movie and do something a little different. I do think I would like that movie. Um, but and you'd love the show. But, you guys but I don't love Yeah, but I, I just show. don't think that's necessarily for enough people and for the fans of the original. Um, and I love How to Train Your Dragon. shit about the fans of the Kevin but, Spacey movie. And a science dude, fiction writer. I, There's tons I, I of like fans Battlefield of the Earth. Guys, but... Bobby, um, you're cracking up a little too on that. On yeah, that. I'm not sure why. Uh, I, I may have to switch that. to like to these or something, but uh, but basically, Tristan's just sounds. 
I love How to Train Your Dragon. That's a really good, good uh, I think, pick. I think using the rule of casting yourself and then making you a voice is, is re- a really good use of that rule. Um, and I like your. I, I really like the uh, the way you went into the lore. So I think I'm going with Tristan personally. Yeah. So if I, I deferred to Bobby, I agree with a lot of what he said. So yeah, Tristan gets the point. We're tied up one to one. Johnny, where we I figured I'd lose that. Mine, mine would be amazing. Tristan sounds terrible, but I knew I'd lose that point. If you guys have seen Fight of the Conquerors, I would have won. But <laughs> I've that, seen that, yeah, well, I haven't. Well. Neither has anyone else. So. I mean, most true. people have. Just you three fucking Everybody saw how to train your dragon. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, pandering to the crowds instead of making, making good independent movie. films. That's how you win points there, Bob. Pandering. All right. Can you guys hear That's me you now? Guys That's why you guys lose. Yeah, you're blue. good now. I'm better now. You're better. good now. Okay. Yeah, you're I, switched, now. I switched mics. So. All right. Well, I'll be honest. Most of these movies are just for me, so... It's going to be a tough fight to, to, to win. There's um, definitely one in here that's like, no one but me would want to watch this. So, Yeah, I wish we had that We've had the most live viewers we've had in a month so with three. So. Oh, solid. Yeah, call us out. All right, well, we're going to go into um, – we're going to do The Breast is Yet to Come, the story of Hooters. Right. This, this one I've actually <laughs> been looking forward to. So we'll see. So The Breast is Yet to Come came out in 2006, got a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes, was directed by Todd Phillips and starred Ben Stiller, Dane Cook, Martin Lawrence, Cheech Marin, Chris Evans, and Steve Martin. The film follows the story of six Florida businessmen coming together in the early 1980s to create a restaurant they all ended up thinking would fail, Hooters. And Johnny, I assume you're going first? Yeah, I'm going to go first on this. And not because I know a ton of the... History. I mean, I actually do know the history of how Hooters was created because we went over it in my, you know, restaurant law classes in uh, culinary <laughs> school. Um, this was a very famous case, so I kind of do want to get into that. Um, but I'm going to start with my my cast and my and my pick. So my rule is I'm making a uh, I'm putting uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in this movie. So my director is Martin Scorsese, who did The Wolf of Wall Street and he did Departed with Matt Damon already. They worked together. Um, but mainly The Wolf of Wall Street and Goodfellas, because I, I think obviously this is not a mafia type movie, but this is uh, that is the tone that I'm pitching for my movie. So you kind of get into the um, uh, tone of it before I read the pitch. My L.D. Stewart is going to be played by Ben Affleck, who is working with um, Martin Scorsese on his on his next uh, movie. I think Affleck's directing. It's called the, uh, King Leopold's Ghost. And Scorsese is like the partner on that. So they have a they're going to have a history. Um, together when this comes out. Uh, my Ken Wimmer is played by Matt Damon, who obviously worked on The Departed with Scorsese. My uh, Gil uh, John Antonio, one of the other creators. Um, his name is Gil, and he's got a hard-to-pronounce last name, so I'm going to go with Jason Manzukis. I need him to be the um, guy who makes the dirty jokes and kind of thing like that. And I think Jason Manzukis is perfect. Anyone who's ever seen The League, he is Rafi. Um, if you've ever watched I'm Sorry, which is a great show on Netflix, he's the friend in that. And he made a really good small independent movie with, uh, I call him Tony Ravioli, but The Long Gum Road is a great film. My uncle Billy Ranieri, Ranieri um, another guy who's worked with Scorsese in the past. He's kind of the older guy of the group. That's going to be played by Alec Baldwin. Um, my Ed Drosty is going to be played by Mark Ruffalo. And then my last um, uh, founder, the you know, the Hooters had six founders, is Dennis Johnson. That's going to be played by John Bernthal. 
who I think is great. Um, I kind of need a realistic level cast. I don't want to put all huge stars in it. So that's why I put like Manzukas and uh, Bernthal in there. Um, and then my first Hooters girl, her, uh, she was Lynn Austin. She was a beautiful five foot six blonde girl. So I picked a beautiful five foot six blonde actress that's the same, uh, basically the same age as Margot Robbie. So that is going to be the first Hooters girl, Lynn Austin. So this is my um, story. So my pitch is the origin of the restaurant Hooters and the historical court case that almost put them out of business. The story of how Hooters bypasses uh, discriminatory, discriminatory hiring laws, basically because of breasts. Uh, two best friends and former co-workers, Lynn L.D. Stewart and Ken Wimmer, are at a strip club and, as a joke, invent the idea of a restaurant and mostly naked women serving you. The more they talk about it, the more the idea seems possible. The next day, the two friends call four of their business partners and colleagues. Um, they are uh, they all decide to start the company and come up with the name Hooters. They get the restaurant built in Clearwater, Florida, and the next step is recruiting. Billy one day is out on a boat and decides to check out the local bikini contest. The winner is a woman named Lynn Austin, a beautiful and young blonde who is exactly what the guys are looking for. Billy convinces her to be the first ever Hooters girl. The rest of the guys go around in a montage trying to recruit gorgeous women um, in a famous like Scorsese funny type scene. Uh, Ken one is out one day jogging and sees his young secretary in very skimpy jogging shorts, which gives him the idea for the uniform. The restaurant takes off and is a huge success. The six guys are, they're basking in their glory as they start to branch out to other locations. You know, they're throughout the U S celebrations include women, drugs, lots of booze. Um, life is all going perfectly until they get a court notice. They are being sued by a group of six or seven men for discrimination uh, by men who were turned down for jobs in two states. Um, the six men must work with lawyers to get around the Civil Rights Act and figure out as many loopholes they can to keep the Hooters brand alive. So that is my my movie. It's very similar story structure to a type of Wolf of Wall Street Scorsese saga movie. Um, it's going to be a kind of a long Scorsese epic about the creation. It's going to be a guy's guy type of movie, um, but also get into why and how um, Hooters stayed alive. They basically worked around all of the hiring laws and said, oh, well, if we hire a couple other, you know, positions like, uh, you know, a couple male bartenders and a couple cooks that are guys, we're not breaking any laws. And they somehow got themselves to be put under the enter entertainment category rather than the restaurant category. So they um, kind of bypassed a lot of uh, laws. So it's a really interesting story. I, I learned about this in my uh, in school, in my in my legal uh, classes, and and I think it's a great Scorsese story. I think everything about it um, kind of uh, said Scorsese all over me, and I like my cast a lot. So that's my pitch. All right, uh, Tristan, what's your pitch? All right, uh, I went in a different direction a little bit. Uh, I went with a rom com on mine. I tried to stay in in the comedic vein of the original movie. Uh, but I made it a little bit more focused. I had it, the main character is L.D. Stewart. Uh, he's a painter. He's played by uh, Bradley Cooper. And uh, he's actually from Woodstock, Illinois, which is a small town, like an hour north of here. It's a really incredibly cute, like small, quaint town. It was a town that they filmed Groundhog Day in. So if you recognize like the town square and that kind of stuff from Groundhog Day, it's like this quaint little town. It's also the hometown of Orson Welles. Uh, so oh, I had... Cool. I had LD Stewart be like very inspired by Orson Welles and thinking like, Oh, someone can come from my small hometown and actually become something like literally the one of maybe the greatest film director of all time, made easily the best movie of all time. And that's sort of like his Overrated. grounding. 
he desperately yeah. wants to be like someone big and famous. And his love interest is his is Amy Adams, who plays his real life uh, future wife. I picked Amy Adams because she actually worked at Hooters very early on in the career of herself and the career of the, the franchise. She said, she said she worked there for like a few weeks and she was harassed and uncomfortable and ended up having to leave. So I wanted her to come back and be in this movie that sort of like comments on that, that element of Hooters. So the rom-com tells the story of L.D. Stewart, who's a painter. He was one of the founders of Hooters. We see his hometown life and he's, he worked. He uh, was part of the Fighting Illini. He was a offensive guard for the Fighting Illini, and that kind of gave him a little bit of notoriety and success. But after college, he just kind of wandered around, taking contractor jobs. You know, not really sure what to do with his life until that day you mentioned. They go to the strip club and they come up with this idea: like, hey, what if we made a franchise that was all just half-naked women serving food? And we get like the Wolf of Wall Street-style adventures where they're very in excess, you know, they have this hugely successful franchise and they're living out this crazy life. And, but meanwhile, he's having this story with Amy Adams and she's trying to get him to uh, calm down, you know, focus on his family, focus on her, focus on like actually making a career out of this instead of living on the edge constantly. And it's about his growth in trying to figure out how he can keep his family together and keep his, his wife uh happy with him and keep him his life good while also managing this crazy rambunctious sexually charged restaurant and he ultimately has to choose that he's going to step away from hooters and be with his family and that's like his arc throughout this movie so that's my pitch all right um bobby do you have a question for them um yeah i mean i guess one of the more the scenes now in the original that kind of look, gets, gets looked back on in not a too fond manner, on manner the way they handle the interviews, um, where they did kind of similar to what you were, ta- you were talking about, Johnny, with it, like a montage, but it just it more happy-go-lucky, and it seemed and like, oh, it's this happy thing that they're finding these attractive women. Um, um, how does your movie handle the interview process, process of the like Hooter, girl, Hooter girls? Does it show it in more of like a, that it's disrespectful? Does it play just like, through the through the eyes of the of Hooters, like what do you guys do? I'll start. I'll start. Um, yeah, mine mine will definitely be more in a disrespectful manner. It will be through the guy's perspective, but it's part of the recruiting. They're going out, they're recruiting, and people are interviewing, and you know they're looking at each other. If a girl comes down and she doesn't look like how they want, they're looking at each other and shaking their head. A guy with a mustache comes down and interviews, and they go, "No way." But then a beautiful woman is in there, and they basically say, "You're hired," without even asking her for her for her resume. So. I think that's perfect for a Scorsese type uh, scene, and I think that's perfect for my movie. And I think it can be done in a different tone than the original. That actually is a little bit. Um, it just like works better because you can you can tell that it is a disrespectful manner from the guy's point of view, and not this happy-go-lucky. Look at all these women that are getting jobs because it's not like how that how that actually happened in real life. Yeah, I handled okay. it similarly. Uh, I I had it's you're you're the butt of the joke because these horn dog older men who are interviewing these young attractive women, and mm-hmm. like in the original they play it up like it's so it's so nothing's wrong with that you know. And I want it to be like these guys are having a fun time doing this, but you can see as an audience they're harassing these women, and you can see like what will become of of these men like if they keep down this path. And I want us to use that interview sequence to sort of tease out like if these guys stick on this path of just harassing and abusing and objectifying women, they're not going to have healthy romantic lives, especially our main character. 
who's trying to hold together his family. You know, he had kids at this point and he wants to be able to maintain that family man lifestyle. So. All right. And uh, my, my question for you guys is uh, Alexandra Daddario got her big break in this movie as the first Hooters girl. Is there any young actress you want to give their big break to in this movie? Bobby's out. Yeah. He's uh, trying to fix his mic. So should we wait on Bobby or I can give an answer? No, it's fine. You can give an answer. I really like Kiernan Shipka. She's had a lot of TV roles, but I think she she's desperate for like a big movie breakout role. I want her to be like the Margot Robbie of this movie where she comes off of this and everyone sees her as like this iconic, beautiful blonde woman. I really like her. She also coming from Illinois, very Naperville, I think she was from. Very So she has a similar backstory of like coming from a small town and being able to break up into like a big career. So I think she'd relate to the themes of this movie. My obviously central like woman characters, Margot Robbie is the first one, but you're also going to have some breakout. My second like leading woman would be um, Alison Brie, who I think is, she's a little more popular than who Tristan mentioned because she was on Community and Glow, but she hasn't really broken out into the movie world. And I thought she was really good in, um, what's there's that uh, Kristen Stewart movie that just came out on Hulu, the Christmas movie. I think, uh, and Alison Brie was in that. I thought she was good. So I want her to kind of break out into like a bigger, yeah. bigger film role. So I'd okay. say uh, Alison Brie would be that person for me. All right. Yeah, I think I'm leaning a certain direction, but I'll let you guys fight it out, and it might flip my mind. Hopefully some of these fights will get closer, but right now it's not the case. Yeah, Tristan, you start. I think I started the past couple of times. I, I like Rob Reiner as a choice. He obviously did When Harry Met Sally and a few classic comedies down in the, in the in his career, but he hasn't done anything like huge in the last couple of years, yeah, so I'd really like to see years. him get back to like the genre that really – like defined his career and what we know he can do well. And I think I I really related to the themes that I, that I brought in. So I really enjoy the way that it t- tackles the story of coming from a small town and wanting to break out and be this big thing, but not wanting to like lose yourself in the process. And he's trying to manage, how am I going to, how am I going to move past my old days of being like a rambunctious horn dog who drinks all night and parties with my friends and the hot girls while I, and then also be a family man. And he, he's trying to do both, but ultimately has to realize that he, he needs to move forward in his life. He can't be living like he's 20 still. You know, he's an adult. He needs to have a family. He needs to move forward. And I think mine is just much, it's faithful to the original because it's still a comedy, but I still think it brings in the everything Johnny tries to do with like, oh, they're commenting on the objectification of women. Like, it, I think it could actually do it well. I don't think Scorsese necessarily is a good choice for that, you know, Wolf of Wall Street, it was his attempt to be like commentary on that, but really it was just like glorification of the lifestyle. So I'm not sure if Scorsese is the right person to be this kind of this kind of commentary. You know, when I think of his work in this area, I think of Wolf of Wall Street, and that we was certainly not like, oh, isn't it bad that Jordan Belfort did this? It's like Jordan Belfort's a badass. Look at all these cool things he's doing. Look at these crazy parties he's having. And sure, it's kind of bad that he's doing it, but it's very, it's definitely glorifying, and it's definitely making him the hero, making him seem cool. So I don't think that's the right direction to go. I mean, I mean, if you're a dumb person, sure. But like, and there's plenty of dumb people in this country, obviously, you know, around the world. But like, if you're watching that movie normally, yeah, you're laughing. It's a more fun tone. But like, you see the terrible things that these people are doing. And that's the tone I want to do with mine. Because, yeah, Jordan Belfort was ruining people's lives. But the Hooters people weren't ruining anyone's lives. Like, they got sued. And they were basically, their more interesting story is how everything was founded. And, yeah, they were sued for discrimination because... They, they should have been, um, but they got out of it. And, and I'd rather see the story of kind of how they get out of it and the start of it than like some rom-com that just like won't actually take any chances. I mean, 
Rob Reiner, man, he had one of the best stretches of any director in the world from the 80s to like 92. Um, but he literally hasn't made a watchable movie except for arguably maybe the bucket list in 2007 since probably a few good men in 92. If you look at his IMDb, like he, he's just not a good director anymore. Like he's, and he's kind of over it. I'd rather see Rob Reiner in his role in Wolf of Wall Street. Cause he's great in, in roles like that. I don't need to see him direct another like kind of bigger movie. And I don't think he can handle yours well. And I don't think he's the right person to tell the things that you're trying to tell. Um, because you made your movie a rom-com and at the end of the day, a rom-com is not going to actually break ground and pass these good messages. Like, of course, you know, except no, rom-coms no rom -coms can do, really do that. I mean, if you think of a Rob Reiner rom-com, like, yeah, when Harry met Sally is a good movie, but like, there were no messages in that movie. Like look at his late nineties. He was making like just garbage rom-coms that no one really cared about. And, and that's really all his career was. And Rob Reiner, I don't think should go back to the, to the rom-com way in your way of doing it. I wouldn't mind if he made a similar type of one Harry met Sally thing, but I don't think you need to combine from, you know, when Harry met Sally with a, uh, you know, like the company men or something like that. Like, I don't think those two things mesh well. I think the only director that really does mesh those things together really well is um, uh, Scorsese, because mine's not going to be a rom-com. It's going to have some areas in there. All these guys were married and they were out there partying and all those things. Um, but, you know, it's not going to be like to the degree that Wolf of Wall Street was. It's not going to open with someone doing cocaine off a woman's ass. Like, it's not going to be to that extent, because Hooters, the start and creation of Hooters and the lawsuits is nothing compared to what Jordan Belfort was doing. But I think it's a story that would be a very interesting Scorsese film. I think it's a very interesting story to tell. I'd much rather watch mine that actually deals with how this restaurant was created, how it bypassed laws. They literally made ads saying, come on, Washington, like, you got to be joking. And it was a, a mustachioed man in a blonde wig. Like, who better than to put that in the middle of his movie um, and they play like the actual commercial of those things before these lawsuits, then Scorsese, it fits in with what he's done before. Um, and your movie just, I, I just feel like it with a love story and with it rom-com and it just won't touch on the things it should touch on to make this an interesting story. I think your problem was staying maybe a little true to the tone of the original, even though that had nothing to do with romance or being a rom-com. It was just a comedic um, movie that failed, but you know, my movie I think will, tell the real story of how Hooters was created and your movie just kind of sounds like it's just thrown in there, but it's kind of a lame background story to the central love interest. I'd rather see definitely all love about interest. the origin of Hooters. It talks about how they founded it. It talks about them having that grave site dedicated to the people who've owned that property before them. You know, they, they, they bought a very cheap property. So they had to, it was a lot of businesses who owned it before them went out of business over and over again. So they built like a grave site on the, property to all the businesses that but close why, down. Why, why is all that stuff in a romantic comedy? Like, your movie would sound better if, if it wasn't watered down by the romantic comedy angle. I think... Why can't a romantic comedy have a plot? Like, how many, how many romantic comedies that you know of have like anything of close to what you're saying of, oh, it tells this great story of how these people started a career and lived through their lives and did all these things, but like at the end of the day, a romantic comedy is... It's kind of a funny movie. People fall in love and then they break up. And then at the end of the movie, they get back together. That's what a rom-com is. Like that's, that's really all a rom-com is to its That's like part. the structure so I think of a rom-com. You can put that into any story. Yeah, but there's no story. All right, I, think like I, I think I have where I'm going to go. You can go back all and right. forth all you want, but I, I think I have my ruling. Bobby, uh, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I think uh, to me, I think Johnny picked the perfect uh, director for the story he's telling and really went into that whole legal background. And um, so to me, I think that just won it right away just by the pitch. Uh, Tristan, yours sounded like Johnny said, maybe a little safer, a little more like just kind of a watchable rom-com, but I don't think that really tells the story well for the creation of Hooters. So uh, I'm going with Johnny. Yeah, I, think, I don't think the legal battle is a story to tell. He's talking about how the creation is the interesting part, and then his whole movie is about the, the legal is battle. Interesting, and then the legal battle is the most interesting part of the whole story. Yeah. That's the fun part of Hooters. And my movie tackles both of those things. Yeah, I think as far as like directors go, I think Martin Scorsese is a better pick for what this story is. I don't know if Rob Reiner, I agree with a lot of what Johnny said. He had arguably the greatest stretch of movies in film history, but... I don't know if I want to see a Rob Reiner movie in 2020. Uh, I think his tone and everything in his pitch, as far as like both of these movies are playing at the same time, I can only see one of them. It's not even a question in my mind. I'd rather see Johnny's than Tristan. So I'm going to go with uh, Johnny here and uh, Johnny gets the point. I get these points on these pitches. I I think are real good because some of mine, I know I'm losing (laughs) like my elves pitch. Uh, all right, Tristan, what we got next? Oh, yeah. Let's go with Old West. Old Speaking West. Just for me. Let me go down and put Old West on the board. So, uh, Old West came out in 1999. It got a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Steven Seagal and Chuck Norris are sheriffs of rival towns that are forced to team up to prevent an invading gang from taking over. Mixing martial arts and gunslinging, this action western could have been much better if they didn't have to cut around an out-of-shape Seagal and an aging Norris. And uh, Tristan, I assume you're going first? Yeah, I'm going to go first on this one. Uh, For my rule, I picked Taika Waititi. Uh, so for my Old West, I went with uh, Taika Waititi. I think he brings a perfect tone to uh, my version of the movie. You can bring that sort of dry humor to this. And I think I'm trying to turn this into like a, a Western action comedy that has sort of more heart than the original movie did. I think that was something that was missing from this. It was tried to play it so straight. And like you said, it was very hard to take it seriously when you're cutting around these old men trying to fight. So I think going a little bit, adding some more heart, adding some more comedy, I think he's the perfect fit for that. Similar to Jojo Rabbit, it's sort of like this farcical historical fiction. Uh, it's about the story of two of very different groups who have to learn to see past the differences and come together for the greater good. Uh, it stars a straight arrow sheriff who is like an old school Western sheriff uh, named Amos Flint, played by Sam Neill. Uh, he's been running his cozy little Western town with Western values and old traditions, like a town right out of like a Clint Eastwood movie. And he's forced to team up with the leader of an aloof, sort of rowdy neighboring town. His name is Jed Wyatt, and he's played by Taika Waititi. I think he can play that role perfectly, like this sort of drinking uh, guy who runs this like very like progressive and hands-off kind of town that's just partying all the time. He leads the town very differently. He feels nice with drunken parties and disorderly antics, and it's, def- it's totally the opposite of what Flint does with his town. And the gang that's attacking them is led by Sam Rockwell's Boone Buck, and he plans to restore the West to a lawless disorder with, through violence. And there's also a gunslinger who's played by um, Emma Stone. So the story exp- uh, explores the clash of these different ideologies. And we follow Flint as sort of like a fish out of water. As, and he gets he's running, like I said, this very old-style Western town. But when he gets to Taika's town, he's totally out of his element here. Like these people are all party animals. And 
he's used to these like old school Western ideas, like very old West style. And Taika is very progressive and very forward and very not that. So we see these different people trying to work together. Uh, and we also get to see a little bit of Boone's perspective. He's a civil, he's a, a war veteran who doesn't want to submit to the leadership of a country. Uh, so we get a little bit of depth on him. And Flint, Jed, and Emma Stone's gunslinger venture out, take out the gang. And there's plenty of action. I think Taika can do action well, not just in Thor, but he had a great episode of Mandalorian too that was like Western action. So I, I think that's a great look for him. But we also get scenes where the travelers interact and debate and kind of discuss their different views on how Western towns should be run. You know, Tyke is very much like, oh, we don't believe in, in, in police, man. We just want to, like, you know, rule through peace. And, and he's like a, almost like a hippie. I think he could deliver that with, like, his very dry humor really well. And uh, in the action scenes, there's moments where the characters are all forced to sort of subvert their beliefs in order to defeat the gang. So we get this element of, like, they're, they're starting to question, like, their own beliefs a little bit. And in, in, the, in a later battle, the gunslinger is killed. And it erupts a lot of anger in Jed. And Taika's sort of been very quiet this whole time and very like chill like he usually is. And, and then in, in that moment, he very he erupts and lets out his emotions. And by the end, Rockwell's gang is defeated. Uh, they're captured. And Flint and Jed have to decide what to do with them. And that's, this is ultimately the moment where their different ideals come to a clash. What do we do with this prisoner? And Flint, he's usually, you know, old school West, he's like, he usually would want to hang them. But he decides to put Boone on trial. And have him be judged by a selection of people from all the different towns that he's affected. So Jed learns the values of having, uh, Flint learns the values of being a little more progressive, a little bit more structured, not just, you know, living this old school Western life. And Jed also learns the values of having some rules and structure because he was very much a hands off kind of leader. And we get to learn, we get to see both these characters very much grow and learn from each other. So that's, Definitely my pitch for Old West. All right, uh, Johnny, what do you got for Old West? Sounds sounds fascinating. <laughs> um, all right, I'm casting myself in this movie because I'm not copping out and going voice role. Fuck that. If I'm getting in a movie, I'll put my face on screen, motherfucker. I'm getting big. I'm going to promote this podcast after I'm on. Then we'll have an audience. We won't have three live viewers, maybe four now. But we w- went from I- three to two, and we're back to three. Fuck yeah, look at us. Making making progress. But you put my face in a movie, I can promote the podcast. So, one second. Point goes to Johnny. Get, next, <laughs> next movie. Exactly, right? Okay, no, here's my thing. I I'm going to make a movie. This is a movie for me, but it's not going to be as like solely little corner of audiences, my Flight of the Concords Elves movie. Tristan's uh, pitch put me to sleep, so I'm going to excite you. My director is Ji Woon Kim, who directed The Good, The Bad, The Weird, but it's not a Korean film. He also did The Last Stand, which is the last good Arnold movie um, and kind of revitalized his career. Was it um, good, though? I yeah. love that movie. I love it's the shit so out of that movie. It's so good. So I'm going for a similar tone of like just what this movie should be, the heart of it. It's just a fun Old West movie. I don't need themes. I don't need all that shit. What I want is two rival sheriffs played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson and John Cena. Those are my rival sheriffs. And my villain, my main villain, is a little man named Phil Brooks, a.k.a. CM Punk, who people say, oh, he can't act, he's a wrestler. Except if you've seen uh, Girl on the Third Floor, I would argue he's probably the best actor of all three of these people. He's awesome in that movie, and I think he could play the villain well. And 
if I wish Alex Gibson was here to be the judge because he would pick mine before I even read my pitch. But mine is going to stay somewhat true to the original because the original is fun, except for the Steven Seagal being the old thing. But that's in literally all his movies, and I can watch most of those anyway. So I'm going to be the bartender in one of the towns. Um, and my movie is two rival sheriffs who are always competing to see which town is better. And they always go and have, go around sabotaging each other's towns. They're forced uh, to come together after a mysterious man in black, a gunslinger, comes into the towns and starts challenging them. So my mysterious man in black is, is CM Punk. My two rival sheriffs are John Cena and The Rock. Um, I'm a little you know, bartender in the city. I get to act all scared when CM Punk comes in there and gets a drink. Like I can do a bartender. I can pour a, a drink. That's easy. I do that at work all the time. So that's my role. And, you know, I'm going to have a cameo in there. The original had a great uh, Stallone cameo as the blacksmith. Mine's going to have that, except it's going to have um, Stone Cold Steve Austin appear because I just want all my favorite wrestlers of all time. When I was a kid, I had all the chain gang, uh, hustle, loyal, respect, or whatever the fuck, John Cena shirts. I love The Rock. Um, I always tried to do the eyebrow thing, never really could. And CM Punk's my favorite wrestler of all time, followed closely by uh, Steve Austin. And Ji-Woon Kim is probably my favorite director ever. So I want to just work with all the people I love. I want to put myself in a movie that I'm passionate about. Unlike Tristan, who just cops out, makes us a voice role, and literally the most garbage thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm going hard, and I'm going in a movie with my favorite people ever. That's my pitch. All right, so I have a question. I'll, I'll go to... J- this question's for both of you, but Johnny can answer first. So the final scene in the original is uh, Macho Man Randy Savage showing up as sheriff of a third town asking for help of the other two, setting up a sequel. However, with the movie's poor performance at the box office, that sequel never happened. Do you have a moment like this, and who would you cast as the third sheriff to show up? Yeah, my third sheriff, obviously, that's going to happen, and, you know, it's Macho Man. So, you know... I don't really watch wrestling a ton nowadays, but I really like, I've been following it and I like what they've been doing um, with uh, Roman Reigns. And he was in the, um, what are the, what are they called? The Hobbs and Shaw. I was going to say Calvin and Hobbs movie. Um, he was in that. He, he provides a big audience. And, and ever since he's been uh, working with um, Paul Heyman, I think he's really revitalized his wrestling career. Um, so he would be my sheriff of the third town, and he's big and strong like my two sheriffs, so I think he fits well. All right, perfect. And uh, Tristan, same question. Yeah, my third uh, sheriff shows up. He's like a you know a new age sheriff, and he's played by Chris uh, Chris Hemsworth. He's worked with Taika Waititi before. It would be really exciting to see like that cameo right at the end, like, oh, we're, we're going to get another one with Chris Hemsworth, and that's my setup at the end. You should have been your sheriff. All right, Bobby, any questions? Yeah, so kind of what made this kind of like a gunslinging and martial arts movie in the first one is that Chuck Norris famously didn't use a gun. He refused to use and just use his kind of martial arts, martial arts skill and his ring is kind of like a Jackie Chan kind of deal. Do you keep that aspect for one of your sheriffs in this movie? I'll uh, yeah, I think Taika Waititi would be hilarious to see him sort of being like a kung fu master, like he's fighting these guys. And like I said, he's sort of like aloof. He's very pacifist. I'd like to say like, oh, he doesn't own weapons. He just wants to like, you know, be a, be peaceful. And then he's he's forced to fight so he doesn't have any weapons he just fights with his hands and that's my 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 fighter just what everyone loves like the iron fish show someone who can't do martial arts try to do martial arts now i'm not going to have one of the sheriffs be so passive aggressive or passive that he won't pull out a gun it's john cena and the rock but what they're going to do is they're going to challenge each other and be like i don't need a gun and then the other ones can be like, neither do i so you're going to have scenes of that of them just trying to top each other over and over be like, all right, I can do this without a gun. 
So they go and they stop this gang of villains and neither of them use their guns. And they keep like basically just trying to one up each other the whole time. And then at the end they learn, you know, you, you still have an action movie. You don't need a million themes and you don't need people trying to act like uh, his movie. All I need is some fun moving at the end after they're trying to one-up each other the whole time, talking shit to each other the entire movie. You're just going to have them realize, hey, if we work together, that's the only way we're going to stop the bad guy. And that's what they do. And then Roman Reigns comes in and says, my town's under attack. I need your help. So that's my movie. That's my my pitch. All right. All right. Yeah, you guys fight it out. I'll say right. Taika Waititi is a great pick because not only does he do comedy really well, like you said, he actually does action really well too. He did Thor. He did the Mandalorian, which is awesome action. He had probably the best episode of the Mandalorian last season. So I think he's a great pick for this. If yours, your choice for Taika was just his comedic chops, which were fine, which were good. Which but is I want to, I want to use both his action and his comedy. And I think Old West brings it out of him. He can, he does great funny character interaction. I think having these very different characters who are from very different worlds interacting would be very funny. You know, you tax me for being boring and being too thematic, but it's not like that. It's definitely a comedy, definitely action movie. And well, then your pitch should have been a minute long instead of 10 minutes long. Your movie sounds boring. Taika Waititi is a terrible fit. I don't want to see him waste his career making Old West. Like, if he wants to go more Western, do more episodes um, of The Mandalorian. But I don't need to see his take on an old, like, Steven Seagal movie. Like, come on, man. That's a waste. I, I'd rather have him do something, either an independent film or a big budget Star Wars type thing. Like, give him those to work with. If I'm going to see a movie, and if I'm going to be in a movie... I want it to be like mine. I want it to be from an actual action director. Yes, uh, you know, Taika has some good action in his movies. I'm not going to hit on him. But you can't compare the action to, of his movies to The Good, The Bad, The Weird, and I Saw the Devil. Like, those action movies are legitimately amazing. You don't have any scenes like that in yours. Mine are chock full of them. The Rock is the biggest action star in the world. John Cena, I think, has shocked me how amazing he has been in basically every performance I've seen him in. He is captivating when he's on screen. And so is The Rock. CM Punk is awesome in uh, Girl on the Third Floor. Phil Brooks, shout out to him. If you ever watch this show, that'd be cool. Um, but, you know, they called him best in the world for a reason. And this has history with wrestling that I won't get into because Alex isn't here. But, you know, CM Punk basically became this. Liver. I mean, Joe, Joe follows it. Joe knows the pipe bomb. I want CM Punk basically coming in and referencing in a way, the pipe bomb, because the two people that he big time called out, other than obviously Vince McMahon, was The Rock and John Cena in the pipe bomb. So these three in a movie is my dream, and I get to be in it. I get to meet them all. I get to act in it. I get to just pour a drink for CM Punk. I get to um, wait, be like basically. What? Yeah. What do you mean? The, the, the known person that doesn't the drink. Villain, like that's the, what he's known for. Exactly, which would, be, which would be funny. Because it's okay. kind of just a play on that. Like, he comes in, he's the bad guy, he asks for a whiskey, and everyone would be like, oh, that's weird. Like, he doesn't actually drink. Yours sounds and, like and a it, terrible WWE movie that would be maybe for some <laughs> fans of WWE, but not for anybody else. And like you it's said, you put me, Tyke... Tristan, and your movie is a waste of a good director. You put Taika Waititi... You're telling me Elves and Masaka was not a waste of Taika Waititi? Yeah, you mean... Okay, here's you my... Thing. If, name I did, if, if I gave even a... If I gave even a 1% shit about Elves of Masaka, I would have pitched a actual Taika Waititi big franchise movie and and it probably would have won me the point but I don't give a shit about Elsa Masaka I care about Old West because this movie is just a fun action I movie think what you and missed, I don't need to see Taika Waititi take on Bloodsport dude 
right, you guys want you guys want to put like final comments? I think the part the what made the original so like unique and the only interesting thing about it at all is the fact that it's these older men doing it. And I think Sam Neill is that kind of thing. He's like this guy who's been in Hollywood for a long time. Sam Neill, don't sell me on the actionary movie and then put Sam Your Neill old West movie, is, is what John Cena in The Rock, some of the biggest yeah, actors right now. That's not that ever. totally misses the whole thing of the original. Like you're well, taking totally these older men who action. are not at the peak of their career and you're putting them in this action the movie. The original movie was the action. I'm putting in the reason the movie failed was because they weren't at the peak of their careers. I'm putting two people that are, and my movie's going to be huge. And, and you're turning it into the into something that's going to be really terrible and forgettable that no one's ever going to watch. Yeah, no one's going to watch the rock. People are going to yeah, I think I think I'm wasting Taika, bro. Wasting. Yeah, I think I know. Taika makes great I'm action, going. great comedy. He's showing he can, he can do anything. We need a mute for these for these ones for sure. You guys have <laughs> mutes. It's not like you don't. Yeah, well, their mics are muted. So, anyways, uh, uh, we have live comments that I'd like to go through first. Um, have to go up ways. Uh, so the second one not related to the podcast, but breaking news: Kirsten oh. Dunst returning as MJ and Emma Stone returning as Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man Three. Yep, I could see that coming with all the announcements they've been. Uh, yeah. What are they that. thinking? <laughs> I doubt that. Oh, I can unmute myself. Things. By the way, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I think all these are probably going to have a very like some of, like they're going to pick one or two to have like a huge role, and some have minor role roles. So it's not going to yeah, be that. Sure. All right, so Cole McNeely said, has anyone considered having a different lead man in Old West? Like, I don't know, a Tommy Gunn like character? <laughs> hey, uh, hey. Be better than random totally. wrestlers that yeah. no one will watch the movie of. Random wrestlers, the biggest movie. Can't wait to see John Cena's new movie, man. I can't Michael wait. Mitchell said, uh, Johnny doesn't have the face for movies, better suited for voice acting. Hey, well, that's why I have a podcast <laughs> that I can call Cole McNeely says, no. Bobby has a face for movies, though, for sure. Right. Cole, 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 Cole just likes movies. Michael agrees. Although I did see oh, that he called Michael. He's still watching it. Yeah. He did Michael say- literally has the same face as me. We <laughs> literally, everyone thinks we're twins, and he's telling me that I don't have the face. You just insulted yourself. Cole says uh, if Johnny was the bartender, <laughs> everyone would be dry in that town other than him. I do like that. We got the same face. Right, we're movies. basically twins. We look nothing alike. <laughs> <laughs> He has a face for movies. I don't know about Johnny. He doesn't have the broader chin. Yeah. No Undertaker love. Shake my head. He's old, man. Oh, he's old. I should have. Old West. Yeah. If he would have gone for an older actor, it would have made more sense. Like Sam Neill. Yeah, like Sam Neill. I want to see that action movie. Uh, Tristan from the top rope. Boom! Johnny got destroyed from Cole McNeely. Got him. For what? I think that was. Was that what was that in reference to? I actually don't okay, know. Okay, stop showing Cole. Stop showing Cole so much screen All right. time. All right. Yeah. Bobby stopped this fight. I feel like he's a lot more confident in his ruling than me, so I'm going to let Bobby make the final ruling. I'm leaning more towards Tristan, his, or uh, Johnny, sorry. His movie sounds oh, a lot wow, more okay. exciting. Uh, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's The Rock versus John Cena. It's not old West. Like, With the pipe Sam Neill that I don't care about. Also, yeah. Cena Punk's the you yeah, I mean, the the, this one was a lot closer. Yeah, great to action me. movie. This one was a lot close closer to me than um than the previous the previous fights. I like both your pitches. I mean, I love Taika Waititi. Um, he can do pretty much anything, anything, and I do love his take on the Mandalorian and how he fit in. So I could see that work. See that work. Um, but the problem is, is like you have Taika Waititi, and I think you kind of into a trap of of 
again, with the original, with the original movie, you can't really do action. Like I love Sam Neill. Jurassic Park is one is one of my favorite movies, not my favorite movie, and you know he's a big part of that. But I, I don't really want to see him doing action. I don't really want to see Taika doing martial arts. Um, so I think it would be fun, and I would like it. But Johnny's just sounds like a blast all the way through, and more in the same tone as the original, um, but just with a better group of character of actors for it. So I'm going with Johnny. That was a big one. That could be a turning point. Bad, bad call. Johnny, straight to DVD movie. Yeah, but I'm in it. And I will buy that DVD. Yeah, so will I. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, so straight to DVD movie has the yeah, rock. Yeah. And actually, they most movies nowadays are just going to be straight to streaming. DVD or straight yeah, to streaming. Not even, not even DVD, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, Tristan, yeah. what do we got next? I mean, look, Johnny's starting to pull away with this one. It's three to one. So, Tristan, you better pull out. There's two here that probably a Tristan Pixie wins. So I'm hoping he actually goes with one of those. I'm going to go with Over the Rainbow. That's not the one. All right. I got to win this. Over the Rainbow. Let me uh, put it up on the screen here. Somewhere. Over the Rainbow. I didn't ask for singing. So, Over the Rainbow came out in 1973, 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Buzz Kulik and based on a book by the same name, Over the Rainbow is a 1973 movie starring Jodie Foster as Leslie Bianchi about a young girl who goes to gay conversion camp and comes out smarter, kinder, and calmer. She goes on to marry a congressman and become a housewife. And uh, who, who goes 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. That helps yeah. out. Uh... You know what, John? You go ahead and go first on this one. I'll I'll take the second. It's an interesting right. strategy there. I I don't. I didn't. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's good. That's a good idea. All right. So my thing with this movie is that Jodie Foster, obviously, famously, she came out of the closet. She is a gay woman. She describes this movie as the most horrific project she's ever worked in. Every day was like a horror movie. So I wanted to go that direction and make this a horror movie. That's how she described working on it every day. Um, so we're going to go that direction. And my director is the best horror director working today. It's Ari Aster, who did Midsommar, which I'm obsessed with, and Hereditary. My Leslie is going to be played by uh, Sophia Lillis, who is Bev in It. Um, my uh, Her parents are going to be played by Sarah Paulson and Neil Patrick Harris. The leader of my camp. Here's where my rule comes in. Someone who actually needs a resurrected career uh, is John Cusack. Because I need someone who can kind of be crazy, but also be charming. And I felt that he he worked for that. So John Cusack um, used to be a big A-lister and hasn't done anything in a long time. Other than like Love and Mercy, which was six years ago, which I love. But he's making Blades of the Immortal and weird things now in the, in China. So... Then my Jane, who's going to be the girl who Leslie falls in love with at the camp, is going to be played by Sasha Lane, who um, I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with the movie um, American Honey, but it's really good, um, and and she is uh, in that. So here's my pitch. Leslie is a short-tempered, closeted gay teenager whose parents lead uh, are the lead worshipers at their uh, small town's evangelical church. Leslie is caught by her parents kissing another girl and sent to a conversion camp called Over the Rainbow. The camp starts off as Leslie expects. It's religious babble and activities to pair with uh, the boys with girls together in team building exercises. 
Um, Leslie soon finds out the horrors of the camp when she sneaks out late one night with a girl she meets named Jane. The two witness the head of the camp praying to a strange statue in a room behind the church before turning to continue torturing one of the boys who made a hassle in the camp meetings earlier in the day. They realize this is no church camp. They are trapped in a camp run by Satanists who intend to torture and maybe even kill the teenagers in the camp. So that is my pitch. I'm making it the horror movie that it basically was the first time around. Um, if you watch it nowadays, it is terrifying. So I made mine. I just uh, stuck with that direction, got rid of all of the uh, really terrifying religious aspects and kind of delved into that to be the horror aspect of my film. All right. And uh, Bob, or, uh, sorry, Tristan, what is your pitch? So for mine, I, I definitely have a very personal connection to this for a few different reasons. Obviously, I'm gay, so just like the general idea of uh, changing your sexual orientation in the camp is, is something that I know is definitely not real. <laughs> but I also grew up in a very Christian community, and we'd go on retreats, retreats twice a year where we'd go out and stay in cabins for a few weeks and reinforce our beliefs where we did sort of these these rituals and these things that would revolve around Christianity and making sure that's ingrained into everything in our culture. And it was very similar. I mean, in, in these trips, we all we had to do for entertainment on the off hours was, was watching the Christian movie DVDs that they had around the cabins. And this is one of the movies that they had. Hey, so we don't watched shit this on a veggie lot. Tales. <laughs> veggie Tales, you know, that's, just, that's not bad. I wish we had VeggieTales quality stuff. You know, all we had was <laughs> Over the Rainbow. I've seen it tons of times for that only that reason, pretty much. It's bad That's for shocked. tons of reasons, but I think what Johnny missed here is that the original story is something that's worth telling. I think he turned it into a horror movie that makes it seem too ridiculous, and I wanted to give it the class it deserves by using the 89th Academy Awards. So my director is uh, Kenneth Lonergan. He uh, makes very emotionally powerful movies that focus on the emotional and mental experience of the characters. My star is Michelle Williams. Her mother is played by Meryl Streep, who's a conservative Christian that forced her to go to the camp. Michael Shannon is the leader of the conversion therapy camp. I'd see him and Meryl Streep both pushing for Oscars in this kind of a movie. And we have Andrew Garfield as Senator Lane, the man that Leslie marries, as well as Natalie Portman as Congresswoman Diana, the gay woman that Leslie as an adult begins to fall for. So the movie tells the story of Leslie after she's become an adult and she's reflecting on her experiences in a gay conversion camp as a, as a teenager. She begins to question her sexual, uh, sexuality once again as an adult after she thought that she settled into straighthood. <laughs> so as an adult, Leslie is living with her husband, a Republican senator, and at a D.C. Uh, dinner party, Leslie meets Diana, a gorgeous congresswoman who is out and proud as a lesbian. They quickly bond and connect, and but Leslie is resistant to let their relationship grow any further because she still has this trauma and this PTSD from her experiences at this camp and is still convinced that she's straight. So for the first time in Leslie's adult life, she begins to face the real effects of the trauma that she was denying her whole life. And throughout that, and throughout the movie in flashbacks, we're seeing her time at the camp. We're seeing the very complex experience going through that type of type of thing, the, all the terrible things that those people had to go through. Uh, her, Michael Shannon plays Father Mark, who's this charismatic guy, but has this very dark demon inside of him that he's letting out when he's harassing and abusing these kids. There's all kinds of terrible horror stories you can read online about conversion camps, people being beaten with Bibles, people being forced to not sleep, people being forced to bottle up their own feces and keep it in their room as a reminder, uh, people being belittled and attacked constantly. So I want to have that be explored 
in these flashbacks, but also get into the to the results of that. Like when you go through something like that, that changes your life. And I want to see her as an adult reflecting on that and ultimately overcoming that. She faces her demons and she decides to tell her husband and tell her mother the truth. And then she decides to follow their relationship forward with Congresswoman Diana and pursue her real sexuality, not the one that was forced upon her by religion. And that's my pitch. All right. My quick question for uh, Johnny is who is your Leslie in your movie? Um, It was uh, Sophia Lillis, who was Bev in It. All right. right, right, right. So my, well, I'll let Bobby, Bobby, do you have a question for them? If you have a question, I'll let you go first. Uh, Yeah. So the original had, um, it showed Leslie's dreams like throughout the movie as she's in the camp and her like male love interest would slowly, or female love interest would like morph into males as it went along. Do you have any uh, like reference to these dream sequences? Um, There's kind of a big part of the first one. Uh, so was, so I mean, mine are going to so be Johnny. nightmares because it's a horror movie. So she's going to start dreaming about, you know, Jane, but then it's going to turn into her mom or her dad, like uh, criticizing her and then becoming, you know, demons. And then she wakes up in a sweat. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely having those dreams. I'm having that happen as an adult and having the dreams be kind of the result of her trauma. And we're seeing her dreaming about her experiences as a child, but also seeing like that swapping going on between Natalie Portman and Andrew Garfield. You can see the confusion is coming back to her once again as an adult. And I want to use the dream sequences to tell that and tell the the mental effects that are it's having on her as a person. Okay. Sounds good. All right. And uh, there is a scene, and in, in my question is, there is a scene in the original where a therapist at the facility, played by Ron Howard, confesses to Leslie that he used to have gay thoughts and in what is presented in the movie as a monument or a moment of triumph, he talks about how he overcame them. Do you have a scene similar to this in your movie? And I'll start with Tristan this time. Yeah. When she goes back towards the end and kind of revisits the camp as an adult and she reunites with, with father Mark, now that he's older and now that he's gone through his life, he kind of admits to her, like, you know, I did have, have homosexual feelings, but I've repressed them. And you see like, his life in seclusion, he's very unfulfilled. And I think that's a turning point for her as a character. She sees this man who is so broken that he, he's lying to himself for his entire life and she doesn't want to end up like him. So she decides to not lie to herself and to see the truth and, and not to play it totally the opposite of the, of the original. It's not this heartwarming victory speech. It's like, wow, this man is so terrified of who he is. And he's so sheltered and he's so broken that he's lying to himself. And I think that's very powerful. All right, and uh, Johnny. Yeah, um, my um, one of my one of my counselors that ends up helping them escape uh, is going to be played by Will Poulter, and he is going to express like, "Hey, I have gay thoughts," and and similar to Tristan's of this is actually a a really good moment in the film, not like the original, which was played horribly. Of like, oh, it's a turning point in the film because this guy, you know, was able to suppress his feelings. It's going to be, I've never been able to suppress my feelings. I'm going to help you because he catches them trying to escape and decides to help them, uh, which ultimately gets him killed. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think I've heard what I need to hear for right now. I'll let you guys point it out. I think turning this into a horror movie totally belittles the actual reality of this happening to people in the same way that turning it like historical events into horror movies and things like that. Like you saw the, the, killing of Sharon Tate with Hillary Duff it was like they turned into this demonic horror movie it's very 
offensive to people who actually went through this experience. And I think it misses the whole point that the original story is based on a real person. And you see, and this is a real thing that happened. Like as she got older after this movie or after the story was told, she, she did definitely come out and realize like, wow, I was lying to myself and I'm not actually the happy housewife I was that people think I am. So I think turning that real life story into some kind of like ridiculous horror movie totally misses the point and totally belittles the experience of people. You cast a 40 year old though. Like, here's my thing. Your movie, like no one, no one cares about your movie because I think you made no one cares about my movie. No one cares about gay rights. People care about gay rights, but they don't need to see it like in your lens because it's about a 40 year old woman who goes to a conversion camp, which I'm sorry, that doesn't happen. Like, it just doesn't. Like, the, no you listen during the pitch because she's a 40-year-old yeah, woman as an great. adult, and she's not as a kid. And like, she's flashing back to her teenage stuff. years. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, a real exciting story to go see. Uh, like, my, my problem with your movie is I'm not interested in seeing um, Ken Lonergan, who made one of the worst piles of shit I've ever seen, Manchester by the Sea, Tell a real life story of someone when he can't convey com- like emotion. He just can't. He can't convey that emotion. Movie sucks straight shit. What the are you talking about? The movie's all emotion. That movie is not emotion. If you watch that movie, his whole entire, filmography is the, all emotion. The, 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 he has three movies. First, all, of all. three of them are powerful emotional experiences. Terrible. No, they're all boring nonsense. Manchester by the Sea doesn't tell a real story. I would never trust that man with a true story. Manchester by the Sea is. Here's the most traumatic things in your life. Everyone should be crying at all times. But no, Ken Lonergan thinks it's more powerful if no one is crying. No, that whole movie is people who should be bawling their fucking eyes out. And instead of showing emotion, don't show any and are all robots. Everyone talked about Michelle Williams' great fucking scene in this movie. And it was literally like the biggest waste of my time. That movie sucks. And I don't give a shit if you dispute that. That movie's trash. And you're giving power to Ken Lonergan, who made this great movie about this about fucking who cast Casey Affleck in his movie, who bullies women. And you're going to give that guy more power to make a movie about a woman who is bullied and put in a conversion camp. No, that's irresponsible. Don't fucking give that shit power. Oh, my movie's so emotional. No one in your movie is going to cry. Everyone's going to go through these traumatic events, but like act like they're just robots. And I don't need to see that. If your fucking family burns down, you're going to goddamn cry. And Casey Affleck doesn't cry. That was a bullshit Oscar. Your movie sucks because of Kenneth Lonergan and because of Casey Affleck, who's not even in your movie. Also, Meryl Streep is over. Yeah, he's not in my movie. So why you're talking about case. Casey Affleck in a totally different movie that's not even in my movie. Like, you're this saying, oh, they're not going to cry, but that's literally the whole point of the movie. Maybe you didn't pay attention to Manchester by the Sea, but like, Manchester by the Sea. He's emotionally oppressing himself. Sounds the same. Emotionally repressing bullshit. Everyone in that movie is crying. That's a bad movie. And everyone who likes that movie is stupid. And your movie sounds the same. My movie is made by Ari Aster, who is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, you're all stupid. Ari Aster, what's better? Manchester by the Sea, which is a pile of shit, or Midsommar and Hereditary, which are the best horror movies probably made since the fucking Exorcist. Like, I don't need to see that. I think it's more important for um like i know your story is real blah 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 but like i think it's more important for people to see a movie that makes evangelicalism which is the most horrifying thing in the world it's horrifying everyone who's evangelical is evil and i want to see that 
put on screen and represent how evil that shit is. But you're not so, doing that when you make it a horror movie. It's going to become except ridiculous. Except you are because Jodie Foster said she never wanted to be a part of that movie. And you and she was a child when that movie was fucking made. She was a kid. So I'm staying true to the original in terms of that and staying true to Jodie Foster said she never wants to see anything like that made because it was such a horrific experience to her. Your movie with a bunch of straight people being in this movie, I don't need to see it. My movie, every single person in my movie, uh, Sasha Lane um, and Sarah Paulson and Neil Patrick Harris, they are all part of the LGBTQ, um, uh, you know, uh, community. And and yours is, oh, Michelle Williams is the straight woman. Meryl Streep is this old straight woman. And um, Ken Lonergan is the straight man who can't convey emotion. So I'm going to make a movie with all these people. And this is shit you should be passionate about. And I feel like I'm more passionate about it because your movie sounds like I'm a passionate waste of about time. It I made a your movie, movie is an Oscar grab, and my movie is actually going to have messages. Your movie <laughs> is just, oh, Meryl right, Streep is in it. Meryl Streep's right, in it, so she's going to get an Oscar nomination. That's I actually made movie. a good movie. You made some kind of weird horror movie that I made was. a great horror movie that is about the horrors of like parents pushing religion on you and sending you away to these horrible places. At least mine That's will exactly maybe show people. About. Maybe we shouldn't <laughs> send them seriously. Yeah, instead of being right, I, got, I, 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 I know what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> Bobby, what, what are your thoughts on this movie? Yeah, I mean, so I do like the idea of making it a horror movie, but then Tristan put one of the best lines out there, I think, of uh, you're turning this real-life horror into a horror movie, and it's not – that I don't think that really could would sit well. Um, and I do think that, one, I like Manchester by the Sea a lot more than Johnny does, and I do think that's Fuck a that good movie. movie. Fuck that movie. Um, and it's telling a real story. I like the way you did it where she went to this when she was a teenager and is dealing with it. Um, and yeah, most of the arguments just turned into bashing uh, Mike Lonergan and, yeah. uh, Fuck Lonergan. and Lonergan. so or whatever. So uh, I'm going with Tristan. Yeah, if you couldn't tell yeah, by all take. the banners I put up, I kind of knew where I was going, and then I just wanted to hear Johnny yell. But for the most part, I disagreed just with what he said. I I like Manchester by the Sea. It's you know it's good. It's the literal worst movie <laughs> I've ever watched in my life. That movie's a fucking trash pile. Every movie I introduced to you, like Batman and Robin. Um, Dude, I'd much rather yeah. watch Batman and Robin. That movie portrays better emotion than fucking Manchester by the Sea. That shit's so unrealistic. Well, I, I'm just going to cut to the chase here. I, I give the point. Yeah, to I know I lost, okay? <laughs> I, did, I goddamn better have lost, okay? It's a movie about gay conversion <laughs> and you gave it to a straight man and a gay man. I hope he fucking wins. But yeah, I'm not been... I'm not convinced this movie doesn't suck shit because Ken Lonergan's a terrible <laughs> director and Manchester by the Sea is fucking garbage. And I will stand by that always. That, movie. that movie's right, Johnny, so where fucking are garbage. God, I hate that Where are we going, so Johnny? Much. I don't even know anymore. I fucking <laughs> hate that movie team. so much. From uh, I'm just gonna fucking... What, what's the score? 3 to 2? Yep. All right, I'm gonna tie it up. I'm gonna go with the the Hindenburg conspiracy. Wait, how would you Wait. tie it up if you're up by a point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was what I was going for. He's We're gonna tie it up because I'm picking the Hindenburg conspiracy, which that is the movie that I care even less about than the Elves of Masaka. And you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna have Tristan go first. All right. Well, the Hindenburg conspiracy came out in 1983. Got an 89 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a good fucking movie. And this Milos Forman classic. 
Jack Nicholson plays Max Pruss, who flew to Hindenburg during the disaster in 1937. The movie flashes forward and back to tell the story of the crash, as well as Pruss's insistence that the disaster was a result of sabotage, exploring the different possibilities of how the famous incident happened. A great performance by Nicholson was overlooked because it gave no definitive conclusion to what really happened. Tristan, what do you got? All right, I'll go ahead and go first. You mentioned in the in the in the description there that it was very interesting. They brought in like all these different ideas of like, oh, is it sabotage? Was it this? Was it that? And I think the perfect director to balance all of these different various conspiracy theories here is Oliver Stone. So that's my director for Hindenburg conspiracy. Uh, and my rule here is that I'm using Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. So I have Matt Damon playing uh, Max Press, the captain of the Hindenburg, and I have Affleck. He's an American investigator who's tasked with uh, proving that Proust was responsible for, was responsible for the crash. So in Oliver Stone's style, it's very crisp. It's very like dialogue-based thriller. It's very tense, and it brings in all the elements of the various uh, Hindenburg conspiracy theories and the explosion and how it ties to Nazi Germany, and it makes them all part of this grand plan that confirms all of them to be true at the end. That was a big flaw. The original people were mad. They didn't say what happened. This is going to say exactly what happened and who was involved. Two of the most prominent theories is that the Hindenburg was shot down purposefully by the U.S. government to embarrass or disrupt Nazi Germany, as well as the theory that the Hindenburg was shot by shot at by local farmers who were angry at the German government. So I'm going to make both of those true in mind. The U.S. government armed these farmers to try and shoot down the Hindenburg, and they also had Air Force on the scene to make sure that it all went as planned. Uh, that's something that I think Oliver Stone can pull off really well. He, he did that in JFK fascinatingly. It also brings in a lot of other theories, such as it was this a purposeful sabotage by by Germany to gain some kind of attention for their for them. So I think we're going to have that as an element, but it ultimately wasn't that. That was just kind of a theory. That was what uh, that was what Affleck's character was initially thinking. And for the characters, we get some parallels between both of these men. They're both sort of losing sleep and disconnecting from society, trying to solve this this real problem. You know, Max Press in real life, he was very much trying to figure out what really happened. And I think that we're going to have Affleck's character initially be suspicious of Press that he was involved, like I said. But by the end, they're going to come together and combine their knowledge and combine their information and work to uncover the truth of this conspiracy. And by the end, they're going to have the truth. But the U.S. military is basically just going to threaten them down into not revealing it. Sort of similar to the end of JFK, like they knew what happened, but they just couldn't get the truth out there. And it's very satisfyingly frustrating in that way. So that's exactly what my picture is. It's going to be Oliver Stone coming back to his his best movie, JFK, and in ter- telling that that style through the Hindenburg conspiracy. Sounds great, just great. It does. It sounds a lot better than WWE wrestlers I, in Old West. I have a feeling Johnny's laughing at his own pitch right now. Yeah, Johnny, um, what do you got? Hey, am I up? Or just ignore me. I was I was going to go the Oliver Stone route, then I remembered he sucks and he hasn't made a good movie in over thirty years. Um, so. I didn't go that route, and I went with um, because every single conspiracy ever about the uh, Hindenburg has been uh, easily disputed. It was just a freak accident. There's no actual conspiracy, so like that shit's stupid. Don't give power to dumb conspiracies. Um, I went a different direction, and my director is um, uh, Lee Tamahori. I didn't write down what else they did, so let me look that up real quick. You sound great. Yeah, it's starting off strong. Mine has a real director with actual experience, so... Yeah, your movie hasn't done shit in a long time. 
Um, okay, so my director did uh, Next. He did Triple X, Straight to the Union. And more importantly, he did Die Another Day because my lead of the movie is going to be Jinx by uh, Halle Berry, everyone's famous Halle Berry, who's played tons of famous characters. Um, and then my terrorist leader is going to be played by Christoph Waltz. Um, and uh, it's about a terrorist organization who hijacks the Hindenburg and, and route are in Germany that is en route to New Jersey. The only person who can bring the terrorists down is Jinx Johnson, played by Halle Berry. In the end, she fails and the Hindenburg explodes and everybody dies because Jinx deserves to die and I want to see that on screen. So my movie is 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 not good. I'm not going to lie on this. It's going to be a terrible movie, but it's going to be a very fun cable movie like basically any Liam Neeson action movie. And Die Another Day is a guilty pleasure. I fucking, I'm obsessed with that movie. Fucking Pierce Brosnan CGI surfs on uh, a tsunami going to North Korea. Like, that's all you need to know. My movie's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be stupid fun. And it's not going to give light to the bullshit conspiracy theories that no movie should ever do. That was the problem with JFK. It gave light to bullshit conspiracy theories. It's the problem with anything Oliver Stone fucking who literally hasn't made a watchable movie since 1999. At least my guy makes movies that if you are into bad cable action movies, you'll enjoy them. I'm not going to say his movies are better than Oliver Stone. I'm not going to say he's a better director overall than Oliver Stone, but Oliver Stone gives light to bullshit. And that's all he's ever done. I mean, he's made one decent movie and that is platoon, which I love. And actually maybe any given Sunday, which was the last watchable thing he made which was in 1999. So I am making a movie by someone who just makes bad action movies that I enjoy. And I'm going to put someone uh, as bad as Halle Berry's jinx in it because I want her to explode. (laughs) Don't we all? All right. All right. Bobby, uh, what's your question for these two people? I guess. Um, I guess since Johnny just, you know, completely changed the entire movie, um, <laughs> just a I little yeah i don't really i mean i just need to hear more about it like i just need to hear why this was a good idea as you fight like i don't really have a specific question uh for tristan uh i guess it's just so the original the the scenes in the past were shot in black and white as it showed a lot of the conspiracies do you have any like different filmmaking techniques that that oliver stone is using um to kind of make it more visually stunning yeah, I really like the black and white of the original. He shot JFK in black and white to give it that like old school thriller kind of feel, like that mystery noir kind of th- feel to it. And I'm going to have that too. And the flashback scenes are in black and white. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds great. Is Joe frozen or are you there? All right. Oh. And uh, my question's not me. Yeah. I think you're just a little delayed. Yeah, my question's for. Uh... Okay, my my questions for uh, Tristan really because Johnny kind of his movie Threw doesn't that make sense. shit out. Yeah, so recent reports have come out speculating that the explosion may have started when Max Press himself tried lighting a cigarette while on board. So why did you not include this conspiracy theory? I mean, I I, I think that's going to be part of his guilt as a character. Like we see him losing sleep over it and and very guilt and very trying to figure out what happened, to, why the Hindenburg blew up and. That's not just because he was there. It's because he feels responsible in a way and he wants to find another explanation other than the fact that it was his fault. And that kind of leads him down this rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. All right. 
Johnny, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to explain why your movie's not fucking trash, or I'm just going to give Tristan the point. Because Tristan's movie sucks. And, and the reason for that is this. If you like conspiracy theories, you're an idiot. And there's every single conspiracy theory brought up by the original movie and brought up now has been disputed by actual scientists. So instead of making a basically garbage movie that is like, oh, look at all these old conspiracy theories that are all wrong. Um, I'm going to make a fun action movie because that's the only thing you can do with this. Like the, the Hindenburg conspiracy is an 89% because it came out in the eighties and it doesn't hold up. None of those, none of those movies hold up. If you look up J, if you look up Oliver Stone's IMDb, his most recent movie that he is famous for came out in 1994, which was natural born killers, which is terrible and was shit on by everyone because he was like, Hey, you know, what's cool? Serial killers. And Tristan's movie is just like, hey, you know what's cool? Lies and bullshit. Like, I don't need that. So what I want to do is make a movie like The Commuter with Liam Neeson, which is perfectly pleasant. You go see it. You have fun with it. You forget about it in a year. But it's fun. And if you go back and watch it on cable, you have a good time. Because Tristan's movie is just going to be controversy upon controversy. It's basically for Trump people who hate science. Like, any scientist in the world has been like, yeah, it just was a freak accident. And Tristan's movie is just like, hey, what if we made a movie that should have come out in 1983, but today, because all of these conspiracies are disputed and wrong. So, like, fuck that. I'm not going to give all noise right. to that. The most fun conspiracy theory is that Nazis took over the fucking uh, Hindenburg, and that's why it blew up. So that's what I'm doing. All right, my... One of the shows I've been binging recently is Unsolved Mysteries, which is all about weird fucking conspiracy theories. And oh, God, Joe. You're one of them. I love conspiracy I'm theories. I'm going to be because this is a waste of... All about conspiracy theories. <laughs> Nothing about your movie sounds entertaining, so I'm going to give the point to Tristan. Just, I'll there. take it. It's done. It's over. Tristan gets the point. Check out Untold History of the United States on up. Netflix. Oliver Stone writes, directs, narrates... And produces. It's all about conspiracy theories throughout the history of the United States. Alright. I don't know if Johnny like, can hear that or not. Bobby's but, mic yeah. is messed up, messed up. Johnny's mic is messed up. So I'm going to tell all three of you to like exit out and just like reload the page and hopefully that might make things better. If not, I don't know. I don't know what Johnny's doing right now. I'll be back in one second but then. I'm just going to wait right. for the next 30 seconds. So let's see where we at are with movies. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read some live chats. Uh, and they aren't good. So hello? Interesting stream. Yeah, hello. So let's see what movies we have left. Uh do we just have the time travel movie left? Yeah, I think that's all we got. Movie left. Yeah, we're making good time. If I had realized that, I wouldn't have done this, but here we are. <laughs> fun episode so far. Yeah, it's been really fun. A lot of yelling by a certain <laughs> someone. There usually is. Yeah, I told you I was going to tie it up with that last movie. <laughs> <laughs> you guys all thought that was a misspeak. Nope, nope. Not. I'm just glad Tristan also didn't cast Halle Berry in that one. I I was about to. I literally went and changed it like yesterday. Dude, I couldn't. I was going to go the Oliver Stone route, but I think he sucks. 
So I was like, no, I don't need to do this. And I think this was one of the hardest ones to do for me. They could, I, I didn't care about the elves of Masaka, so I made a movie about me. I had zero interest in the Hindenburg, yep. so I was like, I'm just going to waste my Halle Berry role on that movie because the Hindenburg, whoever the yeah. fuck uh, made that movie in the first place originally, was dumb. Milos Forman. Yeah. Milos Forman there's literally nothing less interesting than a conspiracy theory that is objectively true. That is, that is objectively <laughs> wrong. Like, that just, it blows my mind that anyone cares about that. All right, All right, so well, time travel movie. Yeah, <laughs> I knew it, it would be time travel. I said it would be. Time travel movie came out in two thousand five. Rotten Tomato score of four percent. Uh this Carter oh, movie is thank you by the writing and directing duo behind the Starving Games epic movie and Meet the Spartans, Jason Freeberg and Aaron Seltzer. It parodies time travel movies and TV shows. Gary McGraw goes back in time to help his parents get together, but after accidentally killing his father with his time-traveling phone booth, his only choice is to become his own father. <laughs> and uh, Johnny, who goes first? I mean, I'll go first, I guess. Um, all, right. all right, so I'm just going to start with this. My pitch is very short, as it should be with a movie like this. I rewrote it because I already did a movie about Flight of the Concords, and I couldn't do a Tim Robinson, I think you should leave entire movie. So I changed my my movie because I was like, oh, that'll be a loss. Because even though my movie would be great, none of you fucking know what good TV is. So my director is Max Barbacow because I know you guys have seen Palm Springs and I thought that was great. And I felt like the only lead to this movie that um, would be good is Andy Samberg. So my lead is Andy Samberg and his mother slash love interest, because my movie is a rom-com, is played by Aubrey Plaza, uh, who I just watched Black Bear. And if Aubrey Plaza doesn't win the Oscar this year for Best Actress, it's all fucking bullshit. She is incredible in that movie. She won for Ingrid Goes West. She definitely should win for Black Bear. Um, so watch the movie Black Bear. Uh, you might not all like it, but if you like a movie like Mulholland Drive, I, I would recommend it. So here's my pitch. An inventor obsessed with Doctor Who turns an old phone booth into a time machine. He decides to travel back 50 years, but accidentally crash lands onto his own father. This sets up for a romantic comedy between Andy and his own mother, played by Aubrey Plaza. That's all I have pitched. I'll fight for the rest of the movie in my <laughs> argument. What do you got, Tristan? Interesting choice there. For mine, I will go into my rule in a second, but my directors are Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Uh, I changed mine up a bit to be more relevant to like movies and stuff we're seeing today. Even literally middle of the episode, we got a breaking story about uh, Spider-Man casting. So mine's going to be a time travel movie that creates a multiverse and a sort of a parody of multiverses. So Gary McCrawl, who's played by Tom Holland, goes back in time to meet his parents. But when he accidentally kills his father, who's played by Tobey Maguire, he creates a time paradox, splitting his reality into multiple universes. So Gary must use his machine to travel across multiple different universes to try and find a living version of his original father to bring him back to the original timeline to meet his mother and restore balance. So the parody comes in with the various alternate universes that he goes through. A lot of meta jokes, a lot of cameos, including a universe where superheroes are real, including Halle Berry as Catwoman. So Halle Berry as Catwoman kind of joins the adventure for a little bit in one of these multiverses. And it's meant to be a parody of like all these studios now are jumping on this bandwagon and bringing back old actors to play their roles over again in these multiverse movies. 
So in the same way that these parodies are, are like making fun of contemporary movie trends, I think that's one that can definitely be made fun of. And it brings you a lot of potential. Like I said, you had Tobey Maguire in this with Tom Holland. That almost is like a meta joke in itself. So we have the comedy comes in there, like all these different universes he goes to. One where, you know, there's cameos by Taylor Swift where Cats won an Oscar that year, you know? Uh. You, you find you find different versions of himself, different versions of his family, and that's the fun of the movie. Sounds great. All right. Uh, Bobby, do you have any questions for either of them? Yeah, so, I mean, I know you, Tristan, you talked about a lot of different characters, but, like, so the first one was uh, a parody of all time travel movies, and it, and it had cameos, including writing, like, Ted, so can Rena Reed, um... But do you guys have any like specific cameos from time travel movies or anything in there? Uh, Johnny, I'll start with you. I mean, Andy Samberg playing a dude who's obsessed with Doctor Who, who's an inventor, so that's why it's a phone booth, I think will be good. It doesn't really give a reason to that in the original one. I'm not going to go full parody movie of all of them, but the fact that he has to go bone his own mother is a, is a um, parody of Back to the Future, which is the best um, time travel movie ever made. So it's a parody of that, but also it has some Doctor Who references. And um, that's really all you need. I mean, you know, huge fan of Doctor Who. Seen every episode. (laughs) (laughs) All 10,000. Even like the 200 that you can't find anywhere because they've been... But also, Aubrey Plaza was in a time travel movie um, uh, with Mark Duplass, and I forget the name, but it's really good. Oh, Safety Not Guaranteed. Very good movie. So it's going to have little parodies of like smaller movies like that. But the director of that directed Spider-Man. Exactly. So there's my reference to Spider-Man, because that's what Tristan's movie is. should say Homecoming. Just a reference to (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. Great. Reference to Spider-Man, to DC, to everyone that's doing these multiverse movies. It's all over the place now. As soon as Spider-Verse came out, everybody jumped on this bandwagon to do it. And my cameo for a time travel movie is that I have, uh, he has this mentor, I didn't mention in the pitch, but the guy who built the time machine with him, it's a parody of uh, Doc Brown. He has Doc Black, and he's in, uh, we have him played by Michael J. Fox in a very small role. Okay, cool. Right. Who recently right. said he's never then, being in a movie. My question for the both of you is in... The original borrows heavily, very heavily, from the 1970s Dustin Hoffman time travel movie Getting Back. So I'll I'll start with Johnny first. How do you borrow from that movie? Dustin Hoffman is the grandpa. That's it. Oh, okay, okay. All right. And uh, Tristan? I mean, yeah, um, like I said, they go into multiverses, so you can easily fill in cameos from anybody you want. If they want to have a, if Dustin Hoffman really wants to come back and remind us of this movie he was in. You're making come it, not cameo. if they really want to do it. Put him in your movie. Well, Put he's in it out. then. If I'm making it, there he's in go. it. Okay. There you go. I right. helped you there. there. <laughs> and I guess it's just time for you guys to fight it out. I mean, my thing with it is this. I, I think it's too soon for a parody movie of the multiverses of superhero movies. And I think if you're going to make a... Um, parody movie of those things it needs to center around um like a like a real superhero or someone who is a superhero not just someone who goes back and kills his dad and i think it's a little chickening out not having him like have to bone his own mom i think that as the only funny thing of the time travel movie i think that's a funny premise and like i said a rom-com is simple it is two people fall for each other they break up 
My breakup is she finds out about why he's back, that it's the son. But in the end, she realizes, well, I do love him. And the only way he exists in the future is we have to have sex, which is disturbing, but it's funny. And I could see Andy Samberg and Aubrey Plaza being the most awkward two people and make that like all of that hysterical. Whereas I think your movie just has way too many references. It would suffer from what the original does because it's just like second by second bad jokes about every time show movie ever made. Mine is going to tell more of a, a, a central focus story and yours just sounds too all over the place um, like the original would be. Um, I, I think I think a more like Palm Springs type making fun of Groundhog's Day movie where it's not even really referenced, but that is what it is um, kind of like mocking and referring to. Um, that's why I chose Mark, uh, Max Barbacow. And Andy Samberg can do a song and he can do Motherfucker, which would be an amazing song in this movie. So that's I want to see Andy Samberg do that. I, I don't really need to see. You made a rom-com Toby about McGuire a mom do it. and I mean, his son yeah, falling in love. And you think people yeah. are going to want to watch that? I don't give a shit. It's Mine's funny. actually Joe, fun. Joe it has Joe Will, he loves that shit. Joe loves incest. He'll watch it'll the be, shit It'll only be movie. worth it if it was a cousin. Joe would be super into the cousin one. Yeah, Joe loves. I'd love for this to be the first fun. episode. I'd, I'd like this to be the first episode someone watches and just take that completely out of context. <laughs> Joe loves incest, guys. Joe loves He's incest. All man. About incest. He's all about it. It's usually a twist. Hey. Mine's not really a twist. But like my thing is this, like I feel like mine follows the steps of a, a of a rom-com and actually delves into the moral dilemma of this is my son who I love. Because he is my son, and I'm gonna he will not him. exist if I don't have sex with him. I think is a very, very insane moral dilemma that I think would be very perfect for my movie and very funny. And your movie is a total cop-out of that premise by being like, I'll just go to these other multiverses and find my other dad. Fuck that. That's stupid. And it sounds bad. And it's a waste of, um, honestly, a talented cast. A talented director. I just watched um, the Tom Holland movie on Netflix with Robert Pattinson. I thought it was really good because he can actually, um, Tom Holland's a good actor. I don't need to see him doing a Lord and Miller type um, comedy where he goes to different multiverses and it's a parody of superhero movies. Like, your movie's a little too soon for that. I, I think the best parody movies, like Spaceballs, were movies that were at least years and years after the uh, original franchises and gave you kind of time to breathe. Yours is basically coming out at the same time as the movie that it is mocking, which is the new Spider-Man movie, because that is what your movie reminds me of. There's not a ton of other movies as much as you say, like, oh, all these other multiverses, other than like the Flash show and Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and then the time travel with Endgame. How there's not a bunch of other movies about this yet. Like I, I think you need to hit on your movie in like ten years would be prime for your movie to come I think out. But I problem, don't think twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one is the right. I like, disagree with that. I think the, that. the reason that a lot of these old parody movies fail is because by the time they make the joke, everybody's already made it. Like especially there now when the there internet hasn't exists. been a good there hasn't been a good parody movie since like maybe scary movie, I think you could say. There hasn't been one since then. And the problem with a lot of them were they're just trying to parody everything in the moment. I'm going to do everything. Like the sequels to the scary movies were all pop culture references and things. And it, it kind of ruined itself. Like 
silent movie by Mel Brooks is amazing. And that was 30, 40 years after, after um, silent films were a thing and it parodied it perfectly and spot on. Um, his um, uh, High Anxiety, which was parodying Hitchcock movies, came out way after Hitchcock was, was big. I, I, think, I think the best parody movies can encapsulate an entire era of films before they are finished. I think your movie being such a parody movie at the very start of an era will have the same issues as some of the other parody movies that have all failed. I don't think we're at the start of it. We've seen superhero movies for so, so long. We've, two or we've three. seen time travel movies all the time. Two or three. Iron Man came out how many years ago? Yeah, but, like, but how many? But what was the time travel in that movie? What was the multiverse in any movie before Endgame? Well, the multiverse, I mean, you, you have characters like Nick Fury show up. You have all kinds of cameos connecting everything together. And but that's not what yeah, I'm stuff like villains that's not what your movie came out. really pitched. Like all your movies is what I'm saying is the multiverse it became big from Endgame and because of the uh, Spider Verse and like the Flash TV show. But those movies, I feel like now superhero movies are engaging into those because of how successful Into the Spider Verse was. That's going to be the next decade of superhero movies. So your movie, I feel like, would be better after those movies kind of settle into something new. I think because it's better now like because... the entire era of it and every parody movie that's ever come out that has tried to cap encapsulate the current era always fails. My movie is less a parody movie and more of just a unique, interesting comedy that is a rom-com that is a situation you've never really seen before. And I think that's more interesting than something that is parodying a bunch and of movies just that are still coming out. The parody yeah. of like how much stuff like Star Wars brings back the old actors to replace their roles and stuff like that. It's very much like Hollywood's run out of ideas, so they're just bringing back the old cast and redoing the same things over and over again. Stuff like Star Wars: The Force Awakens, where they're just like, okay, let's like just do it over again, and we'll have Luke back, and we'll have Han back, and we're just gonna. But, but what is the movie doing over again? Like, what is the parody of that? Like, you can say that, but. Your movie is not just a remake of of like um, of Back to the Future. It's it's kind of a it's not even a reboot of time travel movie. You can call it that, but it, it no one is ever going to know what that movie is. And your movie doesn't have anything to do with the original, except kind of that he goes back in time and kills his dad. It doesn't have any of the same things as the other. It's very time. much so, in line with Back to the Future. He goes back in time and creates like an alternate Hill Valley that saw war torn and, and, and crazy and Trump run. You know, it's and that's, not in the original Back to the Future. Yeah. Can, can we? Uh, so we've, we've heard a lot of we've heard a lot of Johnny taking down Tristan in that defense. Can we get like Tristan's best argument against Johnny's movie and Johnny's defense to that? My first argument is that you're literally having an incest rom-com and no one's going to want to watch that. Sure, it's, it's like got comedy actors in it, but like this is a, this is a movie about incest. You're not going to normalize incest in this comedy movie. You have to be more faithful to the original. It was a, it was a parody movie that didn't. It wasn't just a comedy. You know, it was a parody that made fun of specific things. It wasn't just let's take funny actors and have them do funny things. It was a parody movie, and it is not a parody movie. Mine's actually a parody movie. It's faithful to the original in that way. Sure, it changes like the plot, but it's still. The same. It's still going with the core idea of the original movie. It's still a parody movie. It's not about incest. How incest is cool and funny. It's about like, it's a parody movie. It's parodying how that movie parodied time travel. This is parodying modern day movies. 
in that way. But your, but your movie is a parody on the level of Scary Movie 2 or 3, where it's just a bunch of random nonsense. And mine is a parody like Palm Springs, which was <laughs> Joe, Joe's new banner. I told you, Joe's a big fan of incest. We told um, you. Okay. But here, okay, that completely distracted me. Um, my parody in my film is a way that Palm Springs was a parody of Edge of Tomorrow and but Groundhog it's not, Day. That wasn't a parody because it is because if, because if you if you watch that movie, it has little suggestions, and it parodies the scenarios of those movies where Andy Samberg just does the same thing every day where he gets better at these one things every day. He knows every second of what other people's lives do, which is references to Groundhog Day without coming out and saying, here's Groundhog Day. Like that, the best parody movies are ones that are more like satire versions of what represents them. And that is what mine will be. It will be a satire on rom-coms. It'll be a satire on time traveling movies um, and, and that's what Palm Springs did, I think, really, really well. And I think that's what your movie is just going to be so, so from start to finish all over the place. Mine will at least tell a narrative story that, yeah, it's fucked up because they're going to have to bone each other at the end. But it's going to be a moral dilemma and a situation that we've never seen in a movie before. And I picked two actors that I think could actually make that instead of being like cringe, like what's happening could make it hysterically funny. And, and I think that is the difference between my movie and your movie. I think my movie could be a funny narrative story, and your movie does not have any narrative. It is just all over the place and too many, too many, too many things. Right, Yours reminds me of the final hit. season yeah, of Community where they had yeah. that incest episode right at the end, and it was super cringe and super uncomfortable. Yeah, no I tried to make that. incest funny, and no one watched it because it's bad, and no one wants okay. to watch an incest all right, movie. I think, I think Joe and I have our decision. Um, on this one, did were you leaning one way or the other just to give a little input, Joe? Yeah, I think I don't know. I'm I'm gonna let you call it because you know we've been talking. I feel like you're slightly more passionate about this than me. I feel like as far as the initial arguments go, I was basically split fifty fifty. I wasn't leaning one way or the other. But when it came to the actual debate, I think Johnny made some good points about how his is more closer to the original plot, and I feel like his where I feel like Tristan is just going to be a lot more of just like references over. And I feel like Johnny just has a stronger plot overall. So I was slightly leaning towards Johnny, but this is definitely the closest match we've had all night. And I'm glad we ended on this one. Yeah, for, for sure. It was definitely. That's that why pretty, I picked the Hindenburg thing last yeah. because yep. I did not want to end on that. Right. So yeah, this I was 50, 50 coming out of the, out of the pitches for sure. Cause I love simplicity of Johnny's, but I liked that Tristan was a very relevant um, parody but then Johnny kind of took that down with it being almost too current and not many movies fall into that multiverse category quite yet. I definitely disagree um, with that. And it's wow. starting to happen. And at least the multiverse in the way that you described it, because multiverse doesn't necessarily mean connected universe. That's a whole different thing. And then because the multiverse is what would use a time travel element. Um, so I feel like that's missing a little, a little bit more. Johnny, Johnny is very, um, um, it is a parody, parody Palm Springs. I do like that style more. I think that's a better way to parody something nowadays. Um, so this was pretty close. I actually do, I really do like your pitch, Tristan, but Johnny just had some better arguments. So I'm going to go with Johnny. Bullshit. Yes! Barely. Oh, that's huge. Barely I thought I'd lose this episode. Minute. Barely. This was the closest was one close. I've had in that a long really time, close. Tristan. I can't wait to fight Tristan with, with, 
like actual movies, not forgotten movies, because that fight yeah, will be very, very good and very passionate. It's very hard to pitch these movies when like I don't even know them. Like you give me the titles, and I'm like, well, I don't know that one. I gotta Google that, and then like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like Hindenburg Conspiracy. Like it'd be nice to do movies that we have passionate about because clearly when we get into it we really get into it yeah this was definitely a fun episode i really liked it unfortunately johnny won and that was the end result but you know i feel like overall his was the best i know uh uh, bobby what was your favorite pitch of uh, each person i as close as it was at the end I actually think Johnny's pitch for time travel movie was the was his was my favorite pitch. Is that for you know it, it barely won, but that's because Tristan had a good pitch. Um, so I think you needed that to win this episode, and I I, I really liked that idea. I think that would be that would be a fun movie. Um, See, if I had kept my original movie. pitch, I would have lost the episode because it was just a <laughs> sketch comedy movie that was like I think you should leave, and I was yeah. like Tristan after I did the that. Flight of the Concords one, I was like. Even though my movie would be good, you guys haven't watched. I think you should leave. So I had to change it. So I went yeah. with something a little. I more, think that won you the episode. Um, accessible. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and Tristan's was definitely. Um, I mean, I, I actually liked a lot of your pitches, but Elves of Masaka, the way the detail you went into that one, um, that sucked. Was was, <laughs> but I really I really enjoyed that the way you uh, uh, handled that pitch on a kind of bland movie, but but then went into so much lore, lore and all that made it more inter- interesting to me. So I liked that a lot. All right. Yeah, and uh, Tristan, what was your favorite pitch of Johnny's? I mean, I gave him a lot of shit for Old West, but it was probably Old West. That's not like an incredible <laughs> amount of fun. <laughs> I would yeah. definitely be watching Old West. All right, and uh, Johnny, what was your favorite pitch of Tristan's? This is always hard for me because I'm so passionate. I'm usually better at thinking of this after uh, I re-listen to the episode when I'm not actually fighting. I, I think Tristan's... It's It's tough because I think Tristan's like strongest pitch was probably um his uh um over the rainbow but i fucking hate manchester by the sea (laughs) that wasn't an act that is what i actually feel about that movie um sometimes i just am passionate about things that i kind of make up i fucking hate manchester by the sea and i will stand by that every day uh of the week but i actually really liked tristan's old west um i I think his old west actually was a movie that i'd want to see i think Taika Waititi tackling something he'd never done before would actually interest me and I would definitely go see it. Um, But I was just happy with what I did because I'm like, if I'm going to cast myself in any movie, it's going to be something that I just think would be so much fun and I would have fun on set. Um, So that's basically my whole premise of what I was doing with that. Um, So I was glad I won because that one was harder for me to fight than most because I actually thought Tristan's pitch was was good, and I fucking love Sam Neill. No disrespect to Sam Neill for anything I may have said no, to him yeah. earlier. Um, but my favorite pitch that I did was my breast yet to come because that's, I, that was really at good. first, that was, was good. like, what the fuck do I do with a Hooters movie? And then when I kind of put the pieces together, started remembering what I know about it, I thought I could do something interesting with it. So I liked yeah. that one. That was yeah, very my, hard to do with the rules that we had. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite pitch for, of Tristan's is kind of a toss up between Elves of Masaka and uh, Over the Rainbow. I like both of them. Yeah. I liked how he, you know, did a lot with the mythology of Elves of Masaka and, you know, really worked that in. And then Over the Rainbow, I kind of liked his more realistic take. And then this woman looking back on her life and how going to this conversion camp 
uh, affected her like as an adult. And then Johnny, far and away, my favorite pitch of his was The Breast is Yet to Come. I'm just like a big Scorsese fan. I love Wolf of Wall Street. So as soon as you went down that angle, I'm like, oh, this is definitely something I'm into. That was one, there, were, there were two that I thought for sure I'm going to win. And that was The Breast is Yet to Come and Black Thunder. I thought there's a 0% chance I lose these. Um, and the rest were either... I'm a little passionate about this. I liked my pitch for Over the Rainbow, but I knew Tristan would come in strong with his. So I was a little worried about that one. Um, but I, I think those are my two most passionate ones that I was like. And those, seeing the list of movies were my two that I was like, there's a 0% chance I'm going to be passionate about either of my pitches. And those are like the first two that I did and I, I was really into. Yeah. So that's those were my two I was kind of like proud of because I was like, the fuck do I do with the Hindenburg conspiracy? As you saw from my pitch, I had yeah. no idea what to do with that movie. Yeah. All right. Uh, Bobby, any final thoughts? I uh, just, this was a fun episode. I think next week, Joe and I, I think we're going up against each other. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, More forgotten movies. Yeah. We're keeping on that train right now and getting this established. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to do it again, doing it again. All right. Tristan, any final thoughts? I had a great time. I had a really fun facing Johnny. Always brings out the energy, you know. <laughs> Johnny's just so high energy. He turns every pitch into like <laughs> an argument. It's very fun. All right, yeah, and uh, Johnny, final thoughts. I'm glad. I think Tristan, when he first started the show, was a little too mellow, and he's gotten more passionate over time. So it's fun to fight him now that I feel like he's beginning to come into his final form. And 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 fighting him was tough because he had really good pushbacks on all of my passionate arguments. Um, so I'm glad I squeaked it out. That was the closest fight I feel like I've had in a long time. It was the only one that I was legitimately worried I'd lose. Probably ever. I thought every other one, I was like, uh, these people are stupid if they don't pick my movies. And against Justin, I was like, fuck, I hope they don't pick his movie because I feel like his might be a little stronger than mine. Um, my final thoughts is this. Aubrey Plaza deserves Best Actress this year for Black Bear. It's fantastic. Everyone should see that movie. It's only available to like rent and buy right now, but it's only $3.99 on Amazon, so I think it's a great deal for a good movie, especially because you can't go out to theaters right now in most uh, places. And um, my other thought is, I watched two movies yesterday that I recommend. One is called Manos, which is a uh, Spanish movie um, on uh, Hulu. It's fantastic. It's about um, basically like uh, child guerrilla warfare um, in Colombia, it's fantastic. And the other one was Sputnik, which is a Russian um, alien movie that is really interesting and really good. So they're both foreign films. So uh, you're up the subtitles, but I recommend all three of those movies uh, highly. I watched them all last night and I had a blast. When you I say Manos, second, I just think of Manos, Hands, Hands of, of Fate. Fate. Yep. I was yep. like, oh, so you're really going to plug Hands of Fate? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, did you really watch that movie? What's that? <laughs> Look it up. Just look it up. Look up. Uh, look up Chris Stuckman. Manos hands of fate. Definitely should go on a forgotten movie sometime. It's probably called Monos, but it's just Spanish for monkey. No, monkey. Well, Monos is monkey. Manos is hands. So. Manos. Oh, it's probably hands. Hands make sense for what uh, I saw in that movie. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Well. This was a fun episode. Really enjoyed it. I think next week we come back uh, on Tuesday again. Like I said, it's uh, going to be Johnny and Tristan judging versus me and Bobby. So that should be a fun match. Uh, check it out. Uh, this has been fun. Night, y'all. <laughs>